0: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Switch It Up podcast season four, episode 10. My name is Tyler I think. as <laughs> always, by my co host Colby. We'll figure it out in post. Uh, joined as always by my co host Colby. Uh, Colby, how, how are you doing today? We're not just joined by Colby, we'll get to our guest uh, appearance here in a second. But Colby, how, how are you doing today, first and
1: foremost? I'm gonna cut some corners with this one because we don't have a lot of time to waste. But I'm doing pretty good. Um pretty monumental day for the Colpster. Uh, semester ended as of recording day today. Uh officially clinched my first ever four. Uh dominated my finals project. So a yeah, big, 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 big semester for the Colpster as, oh uh, st- as we uh academic as we head
0: weapon st- right here, ladies and gentlemen. As as we
1: head into as we head into the student teaching, uh, you know, stocks never been higher. But as Tyler alluded to, um uh, we are not alone. Uh, we, we are not alone today. We've had a couple guests on already this season, but for this episode in particular, um, we needed a JRPG master. And since Tetsuya Takahashi was not available, we had to. Um, <laughs> we, we phoned our second option, our, our good friend Eric from, from the Unlockables. Eric, it's been a long time coming. Uh, welcome on to the show.
2: Oh, gentlemen, thank you so much for having me on. I don't know if the next best available option for this game is, like, literally the person that directed it is not available. So, just get the redhead kid from fucking Indiana to talk about (laughs) it. Listen,
1: you have plenty of JRPG experience, (laughs) so this is perfect.
0: Indeed, yeah.
2: Yeah, Kingdom Hearts, that's it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A Final Fantasy or two? Um,
2: No, but I... Yeah, uh, uh, there's a couple in there, yeah, I think, but uh, no, guys, uh, this is awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I've had both of you guys on the show uh, separately to talk about different games, but now we're all all together and everything seems right with the world. So yeah, excited to talk about this, uh,
0: excited to, to maybe shed some tears a little bit later too. Yeah, well, we are we are happy to have you as, as a quick uh, introduction uh, for those who do not know uh, Mr. Eric Unlockable's podcast. Uh, Eric hosts the Unlockables podcast simply summarized as the story of video games the people who play them and the memories made along the way uh, Colby and I have both been fortunate enough to be invited onto the show uh, and I say fortunate because Eric does absolutely incredible work uh, every single episode is a ba- banger he's right in the middle of his 12 games of Christmas which is uh, turning out to be really good uh, at the time of recording this I was just finishing listening to the Pokemon Legends Arceus episode which is great but uh, And he's not only an amazing podcaster, but he is uh, an amazing person who advocates for our little podcast community all the time. You'll probably see him on Twitter posting about the different shows he's watching uh, or watching. I did it again every single time the shows he's listening to. uh, And we're just we're just super happy to actually have you uh, on our airwaves. Uh, So welcome, Eric. If If you have anything else to add for the people back home as an introduction, please feel free to take the stage. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no that's that's way better than than i could ever put it so um yeah no i think i met you guys like earlier this year just kind of crossed paths on twitter as as internet friends do and we just kind of fell into each other's orbit and fell into everybody else's orbit and yeah it's been a it's been a, a awesome year uh getting to work with you guys yeah like you said 12 games of christmas has been going strong that's been 12 episodes in 12 days which i will (laughs) maybe never do again because that was a lot (laughs) of of work to put in um three months of my normal content compressed into a little over a week and a half so um but yeah and you guys were both part of that so um yeah it was just kind of natural that we became friends and and started to collab and then you know once i saw the mutual threads with you know tyler being monster hunter and, and colby being final fantasy it was just kind of you know I was like, oh, yeah, like these guys are we're going to be friends. And that's just how it's it's been. been, It's
1: been great. But um, without any further ado, because uh, we don't have time to waste. We we don't have time to (laughs) (laughs) talk on this episode. You're right. right. (laughs) In in about in about every sense of the word, we have no time to waste on this one, because today is the long awaited, much anticipated. Long as hell. Xenoblade Chronicles 3 (laughs) review everything from story (laughs) to lore bits to gameplay to honestly whatever else we can think of. It'll all be here in this episode. Uh, this episode is going to be lengthy. Uh, that might be an understatement because as famed with um, Mr. Takahashi and the Xenoblade series, uh, there's a lot to lot to cover story-wise. Uh, how we structure our reviews, or the, the only one we've done in Season 4, uh, we'll give some non-spoiler thoughts that can really be about anything. Then we will hop into a spoiler breakdown with a plot-by-plot walkthrough of kind of the opening act to paint the picture of the game for those who haven't played it. And then uh, the cuffs come off. The kids, uh, the kids, hit some, go to recess, and we talk about whatever we want, really. <laughs> so that's how we do things here. So we'll we'll um, we'll paint uh, we'll paint the background here with, the, with our history of the franchise, and I'll start with our guest Eric. So um, as a JRPG master, uh, what, what's what's the Xenoblade history looking like?
2: Yeah, honestly, not not as extensive as your titling me of JRPG master would have people believe. If I'm being honest, my first exposure to the Xenoblade series was honestly probably just reading about it and hearing about it when the first one came out, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles One for the Wii. I'd heard some rumblings about it about how it was kind of like uh, a hidden underrated gem on that console, like a. Uh, Who'd have thought a JRPG of that magnitude would have come out on the Wii of all places? So, uh, and I remember, like, kind of before it got really popular, I saw a copy on the shelf in GameStop uh, b- before it was like astronomically priced, and I regret to this day not not picking it up because to find an original Wii copy now is, is very difficult. So, um, and then you know, having heard about it, I think my first experience kind of with the series was was Shulk and Smash Bros. If I believe Shulk's appearance predates Xenoblade Chronicles too. Uh, and then after that, I was kind of like, all right, well, let me jump in and like see what this is. And uh, so I jumped in, picked up Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and that came out uh, probably three or four years ago Twenty five years ago. I don't know how the time is weird with Co 2017. So, oh, same year <laughs> as Breath of the Wild, huh? Wow. Um, that was a big, that was a crazy year. And uh, so I picked that up, played it, uh, enjoyed the world, enjoyed the story. Uh, famously, if you listen to my show, you know that uh, there were certain things and certain aspects in that game that I didn't quite feel comfortable with playing. Uh, basically you kind of break down that game. There's an element of it that's kind of like this uh, summoning gotcha style crystal game featuring heavily like Japanese waifus with busty proportions. And with the way that the relationship is between drivers and blades in that game, it's kind of uncomfortable to have like these like <laughs> big busty waifu women serving you. So I was kind of like, ah, this is a little bit uncomfortable. Like the story and premise, all this like lore and stuff is really cool that's a little bit weird so uh I kind of didn't really have even have a sequel I was like I'm done with this I'm not even gonna play it and then uh the the trailer for the sequel came out this year in February and then the game came out in July and I I honestly wasn't even gonna pick it up I was just kind of like I'm just gonna let this pass me by and just whatever it is what it is and then you know I think colby got it and i think like a, a couple people in our podcast group were talking were like no like it's it's really good like people that i have uh, very much respect for their opinions on video games and i was like all right let me pick it up see what's up so I picked it up played like 10 hours and i set it down and i was like i don't have time for this right now i can't i cannot play this giant rpg right now i just have other things that i need to play for the show uh stuff coming out to prepare for the 12 games of Christmas that I was trying to, to, to put on and I put it down and then as I think I heard both of you guys like progress through the story and like were like oh my god this is insane like literally shedding tears over this game I picked it back up and I- I'm glad I did because it not only changed my opinion on the franchise it it quickly became one of the best gaming experiences I had this year and probably
0: one of the the best of the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I kind of have a similar story as well with uh, the the background with Xenoblade. I don't think I even heard of the series until Shulk got like announced for Smash uh, before it even was even like officially mm-hmm. revealed because there was that huge leak and they're like, "Oh, Shulk from Xenoblade." I'm like, "What the hell is a Xenoblade?" Uh, yeah, what's a Shulk? What's a what's a Manado? What's a, a, Monado? <laughs> what's a now it's Shulk time? Like, what what is right. what is happening? Uh, so you know. <laughs> As as you do, you go on YouTube and you watch the "Did You Know" gaming video on Xenoblade, and you're like, "Oh, hey, look! Now I know about what Xenoblade is." Probably will never pick it up. Uh, and Xenoblade right. Chronicles <laughs> Two came out, and I didn't really care because I was playing Breath of the Wild, so I just sort of let that pass by. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, Xenoblade Chronicles Three was revealed, and I was like, you know, whatever, Xenoblade, let it pass by. But then reality was like, no, wait, hang on. Uh, and then, you know, Colby obviously got it because he was interested. Because he played, well, I'll let him get to that. But Colby uh, got it, was telling me about it, and he was like, you need to get this game. And now, the last time he told me that, the last time Colby got a game before me and said, Tyler, you need to get this game, I know you'll love it, was Fire Emblem Three Houses. So I was like, okay. I I need, I'll think maybe, you know. Cause like, I'm I a great did, friend. Like, I had already gotten a game <laughs> that month. I was like, maybe I should, I'll save up a little bit. Uh, and then it's only when Colby said that, like he had full on cried at the game, I was like, okay.
1: Well, they, and, well, and and Helena Taylor tweeted some egregious shit, which also I was, about to say, I, I was going to be, like, I was going
0: like, okay, I'll get Bayonetta, you know, like one of us gets Bayonetta, one of us gets Xenoblade Three. But then like the that whole thing happened, and I was like, you know what? I'll just get Xenoblade Three instead. So I bought Xenoblade. The 3. game with
2: less controversy.
0: Yeah, I was like, you know what? I'll just get Xenoblade because. Again, I had to go with my. I had to go with that because I couldn't get out of my mind. Like the last time this happened was fucking Fire Emblem Three Houses, so I know it's got to be. I got. I know it's got to bang. So I I picked it up. I played it for nearly seventy hours, and now it's easily in my top five games of all time. <laughs> like it's. I just once I started, I just could not put it down. So many games got fucking ba- backlogged because I just had to play this game. Before Pokemon came out, I was like, "Oh my god, I need to get this done." So yeah, we'll get into it. Xenoblade Chronicles Three. I started with this one, and it's just, ugh. I, I can't wait to talk about it. it I'm so. Col- Colby is Colby just knows my taste, so I got
1: ha- I got to thank him for even yeah, being I'm able up. to. I'm a generational experience. friend. If I do say so myself, I was to
2: say your your track record for recommending things seems like it's it's very good. I'm so. hot. <laughs> I'm
0: hot. Just get well, out of we'll my hit, way. Let yeah. me cook. Well, hit hit him with it, Cole. What what's your story with the the blades of Zeno?
1: I don't know, man. I mean, ever since I ever, ever since my eyes landed on Cloud Strife, anything with a big sword <laughs> um, just, just tickles my fancy. So I saw in two, in 2020 um, at the height of remake, uh, I. I think Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition was out. And I don't know how, like, I I became just in the niche Xenoblade Twitter fandom. But God, they're, some, they're a small but fiery bunch. And they were just singing this game's praises, so excited about it. And, you know, I had been itching to play a game with a story because I think that's the year Paper Mario the Origami King came out. So I'm like, okay, well, I have to rectify this failure. So <laughs> I got Xenoblade Chronicles oh, Definitive geez. Edition. And I loved it. I mean, I played through it once, I loved it. Honestly, don't remember a lot about it, but I remember enjoying it, had a good time, sung its praises on this very show way back when, and because I, too, was also playing Breath of the Wild in 2017, I, as well, missed Xenoblade Chronicles 2, but I will uh, rectify that failure because it is waiting with bated breath in the backlog to be played now that I finished this game, which brings me to the present day when this game was announced. I just, I was like, I am just going to get this because I played one and I liked it, and and a lot I heard a lot of conversation on two about two being kind of good or not good. I'm like, oh, I'll pass on that. but three was like like when I saw that I'm like I'm getting that like day one and even teased the special edition, which fuck me. I messed that one up. but um, I think it's, <laughs> this, this game is just oh boy um that's just that's basically all I can say for now. I mean, it's just it's that good. like it's easily in the s tier of games I've ever played. Even with its, you know, even some even with some flaws, but you know, Tyler and I, we chase story and characters, and I can't think of a better twenty twenty two game that has those two things. So, with that said, well, without kind of transitioning us into our non spoiler thoughts, before um, these the cuffs have been on for like months when it comes to the three of us talking about this game. So just a couple minutes longer, <laughs> boys, and we can break free of these chains. But um, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll kick it off my quick non spoiler thoughts. Um. As famed on this show, Tyler and I rank our favorite games ever and we talk about it once a year. I usually wait a couple a week or two after. I just put Final Fantasy fifteen in. I'm sure that won't be controversial. So I waited about <laughs> one to two weeks with this game because I like it was one of those games where like when you finish it and you're watching the credits, like you don't know what to do. Like even with FF15, which I enjoyed, like I was, I was like, "Oh, that's that's cool." Like that that was cool. Like I liked that game. It was fun. I, when Luna Freib was actually the logo of the game, I was like, "Oh my god, that's sick!" But other than that, I was like, "Yeah, this is this is this is cool. This is fine." But still, I walked up, like got a glass of water. I wasn't like immobilized. I was immobilized when this game ended. Like I didn't know what to do with my body or my hands. Like I was just like sitting there watching the screen, like with tears running down my eyes. Like, well, what am I gonna do here? But it's one of my favorite stories just in fiction, like video game book, movie, like whatever. It's just one of my favorite stories ever told. This is a game about love and loss and we all love heartbreak hidden behind the slogan of live fight to live, live the fight. I think this is a must-have JRPG on this console. Um up there in the in the tier of Fire Emblem 3 Houses, I think this is of the ones I've played. I think this is the, this is way better than Xenoblade 1, I think. I just it, it lands hard lands more for me seems one great but I think this is in like another category personally um again I like I said earlier has some flaws which we can get into but I mean I've thought about this game every day for like a good two three weeks after finishing it so uh, it's that freaking good and I think everyone here with even an inkling of interest a lot like with three houses should go and give it a try um Tyler what about you
0: I and mean, I still think about this game every day. I don't know what the hell you're on <laughs> about. Uh, I think I'm just going to read word for word what I wrote because I'm not sure I can. You could can't tell them in. we have notes, damn it. <laughs> what do you mean? I thought that's what all good podcasters did when they are reviewing games. But, okay, fine. We'll, 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 we'll wing it. Uh, but, the game's good. All right, Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I mean. 10 out of 10, moving on. <laughs> I, I'm a, Yeah, <laughs> there we go. No, I'll be quick. I'm a, I'm a simple guy, you know. Uh, I can look past a lot of flaws in a game if the aspects that I personally hold of higher value than others are done exceptionally well. Uh, this, for me, is absolutely a story. Uh, if a game is a really, really good story with well-built characters, powerful themes, a good plot that is, you know, the, the writing is tight, you know, the world is... It feels like an actual world that someone could... Live in that I could immerse myself in, I can look over a little repetitiveness in gameplay, for instance, or, you know, if a game isn't as graphically impressive as others. This game, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, is not perfect. You know, no game ever will be, but, you know, I mean, the game's combat can get a little stale at points, especially in longer segments between story beats, and in game cutscenes can be a little janky, but those things are fucking just. Minuscule, in, in, in inconsequential, in, 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 <laughs> inconsequential to all of the pros, all of the positives that this game brings. You know, I've I've played a lot of games this year. I played, a lot, you know, Pokemon Legends Arceus, Dying Light Two, fucking Elden Ring, Game of the Year. They all wowed me, but Xenoblade Chronicles Three made me actually cr- like fully cry, and like if a game makes me do that, it's going in the top three. Like, it, it's just sort of a rule. Like, if if, if a piece of media can move you so much that you are moved, moved to tears, like, that's gotta mean something, right? So, but yeah, as, as I've been saying for a lot of my favorite games lately, I can feel the passion that was put in this game's creation emitting from every single aspect of it, music, visuals, voice work, gameplay, world design, and, of course, story and characters. It's a game that I'm probably going to remember for the rest of my life, and one that has some eerie similarities to my actual favorite game of all time, uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Explosion Skies. So I I guess it's no wonder why it left such a huge impact on me. But yeah, like Colby said, anyone who has any passing interest in RPGs or just really wants a good story... Like listen, I had a 3 weeks notice on this game's ability to make people cry and I and it's and I still cried. I was like, okay, maybe it won't happen because now I expect it. No, it it fucking knocked me out, revived me and knocked me out again. Like it you just have to experience it for yourself. I promise you it's it's amazing.
1: Yeah, when I was up at NPA for for Thanksgiving, like Tyler and I we hadn't seen each other in a long time and I think you either just finished it or you're about to finish it and well, we were we were out with a group of friends and it was like ten o'clock at a bar and we were just talking about this game and all of the friends were just like listening to us talk about this game. So clearly, <laughs> it just has that kind of effect on people. Yeah. So um, you know, uh, may, maybe maybe a, uh, thanks to a couple of drinks or two, but uh, Xenoblade Chronicles three just seems to have a passing interest for everybody. So, uh, that that, that tees up Eric, uh, cleanup hitter. Well, what is what do you think of this game? Non non Yeah, I man.
2: So a, a couple of points I can make. Uh, as stated above. Like, my relationship with the series as a whole after Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was, like, relatively lukewarm. I, Like I said, I didn't really have any interest in revisiting it. And, like you said, that game was sandwiched in between two of the biggest titles of this generation of the last 10 years in Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey. Uh, so, honestly, in the shadows of Odyssey and Breath of the Wild, like, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 didn't really stick out to me in the year that I played it. I still think about it from time to time, but most of my thoughts were were negative on it, especially uh, like the waifu side of it, and the uh, infamous rant I've gone on a few times on my podcast where every single boss fight ends with you getting your ass kicked in the cutscene. So I'm like, what is the point of me doing these boss fights if I just lose in the cutscene all the time? There's like no point. There's no point to be doing this. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I compare it to my feelings on God of War 2018, which was my game of the year in 2018, in that That game revitalized and subverted my expectations on that series. I didn't care about Kratos at all. I didn't care about God of War at all. I thought I had him figured out as a character. He's just angry he kills gods if that's all there is to him. But God of War 2018 subverted my expectations and delivered such a touching and emotional story while being a pretty damn good video game that uh, that was something I started to look for going forward in my consideration for a Game of the Year. It's something that made me either like rethink or challenge like preconceived notions that I had uh in a similar vein to that game Xenoblade Chronicles 3 did that for this series it stripped out a lot of the stuff I didn't like about XC2 mostly that like Japanese stuff and again I don't I'm sorry to the Japanese like I don't hate you it's just a different (laughs) cultural thing And it's just it's just a little weird I'm sorry uh it's, it's stripped a lot of that out, though. God damn and it. And it told, like... Uh, yeah, you're going to have zero listeners in Japan after this. Re- I'm, I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> Just re- I'm going to re- I'm have to redact the last 30 seconds. Um,
2: it's post. stripped out a lot of that stuff. And all the characters are like, much more believable and much more lifelike. And it, it it focused on a story of like romance and love and loss and meaning of life without all of that annoying stuff from from Xenoblade Chronicles too, And similar to... to what tyler said uh anyone that listens to my show knows that i've only ever played two video games in my entire life it's final fantasy 9 and kingdom hearts 2 both of those games kingdom hearts specifically have made me cry have moved me to tears i cried in my room for like 10 minutes when kingdom hearts 3 concluded just because it was the end of the series and i was over the tw- yeah i was 20 well, i was it. over 25 so i'm like a grown-ass man crying in my room for disney characters it's ridiculous um those two games are one and two on my ranked games of all time and they can interchange at any time but um and those are like the only two games that consistently move me to tears and hit me emotionally and for xenoblade chronicles 3 to affect me in the same way that two games that i consistently praise on my show being my favorite of all time uh it it has to be in that consideration and like you both said there are things about this game that's not perfect uh, the combat can be a little overwhelming at times. The, the pacing can be a little, little bit weird, a little bit frustrating. Uh, sometimes during the forty-minute cutscenes, I just wanted to be like, "Wrap this cutscene up. I have stuff I gotta go do." And that's like not a not a joke, not an exaggeration. Like some of these cutscenes are like half hour, like forty-minute cutscenes where it's like once you enter, like there's a bunch of stuff you have to do before you get on the other side where you can stop. Um, but for the game to affect me in that way, I mean. And as much as two of my favorite games of all time did, how can it not be at least somewhere on that list of 10, 15 games of of all time that that I feel I'll remember forever going forward? And it tells an incredibly, incredibly touching story. Uh, A lot of the themes also line up uh, very well with the themes in Final Fantasy IX, that what makes life worth living and, you know, just this concept of death and, you know, what makes it all worth it if in the end we all just meet the same fate a lot of those themes and i think that's what caused this game to hit really heavy for me is because i was like oh i literally just experienced this all in final fantasy 9 again that enhanced my playthrough of this so uh kind of a weird like connection there but yeah it's it's not i'm not just sitting up here like singing it's praises for no reason it's fantastic it's it's a must play
1: yeah, like it's instantly become a series for me. Where whenever the next game is announced, like I'm just gonna go nuts and be like, "Holy shit, we're back, baby!" Like, yeah. like I hope it's something different because like they've, they've this game is the end of this specific specific story. But whatever is coming up next for Monolith Soth and Xenoblade, I'm there day one. Like it's that this game was that freaking good. Same. So it moved it from a not
2: day one to a day one for me, hands down absolutely yeah
1: i, I did the same thing you did like i put it down for a while and then i don't know why i picked it back up but i was just like i'm just gonna pick this back up again and keep going and i never stopped once i did so. for the general
2: <laughs> gaming populace out there uh, i picked this game back up to finish it i put down god of war ragnarok and i put down pokemon to finish this game so two games that people were playing and were definitely in the moment not that there's that much to say about putting down Pokemon, because that game is an interesting topic in and of oh. itself. Uh, <laughs> hey, we have a whole episode. Yep. We have a whole episode <laughs> that, that coming. Don't, one. don't, uh, no. But yeah, I, I stopped playing arguably one of the games of the year in God of War Ragnarok to finish this game. So take that the way you will.
1: Well, no, well, Noah would beat Kratos' ass in a fight. So no, that's, <laughs> like, that's
2: interesting. That, that's a crossover I'd not expect to happen, huh? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, Noah definitely has the power of friendship on his side. Kratos has no friends.
2: He might have some now, like, after.
1: He's got some (laughs) now. Anyway.
0: But, boys... Noah won. one. (laughs) Lucky (laughs) Simmons, Give him the keys. I'm going to call Super Brad.
2: (laughs) They can can gene that one out.
0: Yeah, there Uh, you go. Bring him in. (laughs) Uh, Well, boys. I feel like we're in the... We're gonna we're we're on our way to an emotional roller coaster here with this episode. Oh so, I think we gotta I think we gotta give the viewers some context, right? So, Mister Mister Colby, would you mind walking the listeners through the beginning chapters of Xenoblade Chronicles three?
3: martial nations locked in war Kevez and Agnes
1: mm. opening shots of the game focus on a lively world the night of the Queen's anniversary we don't know that yet but I think it might it might be said I don't remember but it's the Queen's anniversary uh, the scene centers around four kids trying to catch the fireworks show those kids could be important with <laughs> one of the kids lagging behind trying to catch up <laughs> we pan, we pan over to a clock that strikes six uh, o'clock p.m not that that really matters but uh, all of time then suddenly comes to a standstill. Our young ponytail, ponytailed hair lad looks around confused, horrified, you know, just in look, looks like he's seen a ghost until he looks up and sees literally another planet coming straight towards theirs. Looking up in amazement, we quickly transition to a yellow and blue spear colliding as we see random parts of the world begin to simply disappear. And then it cuts into the intro credits. So, right there, like. Again, kind of staying in the non-spoilery area, but once you watch that after the context you get from playing the game, like just so much is told in that, oh, yeah, minute, minute and a half of video game.
0: It very much kind of reminded me of uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses opening.
1: Yeah, yeah with um, Raya versus Nemesis. I
0: was about to say, like a very. I feel like the next scene also sort of does that as well. It does. The, it it kind of does, does, does the does the big divine pulse. Yeah, it just builds up this intrigue of like this absolutely has meaning that a new player just has no fucking idea, <laughs> but it's so but like it's so intriguing it's just what's happening on screen that like you need to keep going to try and like piece it together and then the world slowly builds out from there. So I feel like it's an interesting comparison between the two because I felt similar feelings
1: watching uh both of those. Yeah, the games definitely have some weird correlations here maybe that's why we liked it so much but <laughs> maybe. um as but, we cut to the intro yeah. credits we see a battlefield and we get some be some we get our first narration two colossal martial nations locked in war kevis and agnes what we need most is life itself and then it pans in on like as these soldiers are killing each other like life force is going into these big ass machines that are seem to be powered by the taking of life and just immediately the this game was branded with the slogan, Fight to Live, Live to Fight. We see that almost e- immediately in this world that this place is brutal, it sucks to live here, and this is just the cycle that these people live in and exist in. So, fighting in order to live and living to fight, that's the way of our world, Ionios. Cruel irony that it should mean eternity, because slowly but surely, our world is now dying, even though we have yet to realize that fact. What a bar. <laughs> what a what the a fact bo-
0: the fact that ionios means eternity even that like you don't realize it when you start the game but if you look back at it after you finish it it hurts even more
1: <laughs> <laughs> in greek or latin it means um with uh with or without end so just oh my ooh. fucking god dude wow. such so good
2: such a good it intro a, it, yeah. it strikes uh, a really like stark contrast from the things you remember about Xenoblade chronicles 2 and there, that opening to that game is more. I would say more lighthearted, and just that world feels so much more like a happier place to be. Like there are towns and there are people who are living their life and things that are going on. It's and yes, there are nations at war, but people are still like living their life. They're not having we fight constant battles. And this game pretty much right off the bat tells you like we like our, our constant war. Like that's the only purpose, and like that's what this game is about. And you're just like, oh, okay
1: then.
0: <laughs> yep. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, like being of Xenoblade Chronicles 1, like definitive edition anyway, like Shulk's just like hitting bugs with like a trash can (laughs) or something. Like just absolutely, (laughs) absolutely irrelevant to the main plot. But here you get so much like dramatic irony where they tell you so much without you even realizing it. So we cut to a party of four, but for the sake of our story, only three of them actually matter. So remember those kids I told you about five minutes ago? Well, they turned out to be important (laughs) because they're our main characters. So. (laughs) Yeah, who would have thought um big shock yeah. He, I know stunning but here we go so our pony our pony hair tailed lad he he did not outgrow the ponytail in as he got older uh, that is Noah uh, an offse an offseer who wields a special sort of blade and he is the main character of this kvesi side so we'll do some quick no, non spoiler thoughts on Noah I love Noah as a character I think that his story his struggles because this is ultimately his story with one other character involved who we'll get to but um. It's touching. It's absolutely everything you want in a video game story. I think his characterization is perfect. I think for this sort of world, he is a he is the perfect protagonist. Just for the, his the way he sees life in this world, the way he handles himself. Uh, great leader, great character. So um, Eric, quick thoughts on on Noah, the, our offseer friend here.
2: Yeah, my my only reference, like I said, my immediate comparison is to the previous game's protagonist, Rex, and uh, I I enjoyed Rex for what he was. Um, I, I think Noah's just a more Complete, better put together protagonists. All things being said, not speculating too much on what happens in the future. But uh, I and I'm a sucker for I don't know what it is, man. I'm a sucker for like these anime good boys who have like hearts hearts (laughs) of gold. I I just I really am. And while I say he's not quite the same like degree of like gullibleness or ridiculousness that like Sora is, who's like one of my favorite characters of all time. Um, he fits that mold perfectly. And where he's just like from the moment you meet him and interact with him, you know that like he's not feeling this whole kind of world vibe where it's just like constant war and like kill or be killed. He's you immediately get the vibe that like, he's feeling like, Hey, maybe there should be like something more to this.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it might be the odd one out. Cause I I honestly didn't think I was going to like Noah that much. Uh, when the game started, like I, I, I almost, I almost felt a little bit annoyed. at like the, get a
1: haircut nerd. <laughs> it, it wasn't the hair. The design is yeah, great. Right.
0: I love the design. I love the jacket. Love the drip. Uh, but I don't know. Like something about him, I, I just didn't think I'd like relate to him at all. I thought he would be like a lot more stale than he was. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know what gave me that impression. But at the beginning, I was just not sure I would like him as much. Uh, you know, just being a protagonist character, I didn't know if he would have. This is my first Xenoblade game, so I'm like, this, I don't know if he's going to get like much depth or if he's just going to be sort of like more bland and the rest of these characters that seem a lot more unique. Uh, but I was totally wrong. I was absolutely, you know, proven wrong very quickly. Well, not very quickly. It was it was sort of a slower process over, over the game as I realized like, wow, this... It's it sort of... You kind of realize after a lot of events happen, as you look back after you get so far in the story, like, oh, Noah's whole outlook on this... Makes so much more sense. Like it makes so much sense that he would do this action and this action that I saw before, you know. And it, it all starts to come together very slowly. But it's like a slow burn, but it's very powerful uh, at the end. And you know, shout out to Harry McIntyre, voice of Noah, really helps to portray this you know, idealistic and almost like relentlessly. Uh, positive and like optimistic force that is noah uh as you go through the game and you sort of get his view on this uh conflict uh and his views on life and death but yeah noah at the end of the day i didn't realize it at first but he is the perfect protagonist for this game Uh, i have to concur with you too on that
1: Switch it up has reached out to Harry McIntyre's camp for an interview. Uh, we've not received a response, but we'll keep you updated. So, of course. Uh, moving on next to um to Lance, a uh, defender class and Noah's sort of like protector, confident, sometimes cocky. Lance is a reliable ally and always ready to fight. He is our he's our big strong boy of of our group. Um abs- just absolutely yoked and <laughs> Uni, um, one of two. You heard that right, and you'll be surprised because there's like 100 classes in this game. We've only two kvesi healers, and one of them is Uni. Uh, she states she's been with the boy since the pod. Uni has a sharp tongue and upfront demeanor, yet a strong soldier who cares deeply for her friends. So that's kind of our crew here. Our fourth one is um, uh, like Slenderman with a rifle. So um, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to him later. Uh, yeah. He's kind of relevant, but... Like we said, the, the game opens on the battlefield against Agnes' forces. Uh, this is kind of like the tutorial of of this of the gameplay here, which is you know just it, it's traditional Xenoblade auto attack, hit a couple buttons, break topple days, just do that for seventy more hours, literally. Yep, yep. But we see generals in some higher tech garb on top of these um giant machines. Don't know if that's important. And we learned that um, ooh, when we know that these are um, called Faranises that feed off of the life force of the fallen soldiers which are powered by flame clocks which flame clocks absorb the life of fallen enemy enemies when a flame clock runs empty the people associated with that Faranis die so if you are part of the colony one Faranis and the life and the flame clock runs out you are just a goner so uh, need to kill people to stay alive kind of a brutal brutal reality but that's just the way it's been here in Ionios uh, we yep. see flashbacks uh, throughout this throughout this encounter, uh, sp- specifically on a kid named Yorin, a healer, but one who is clearly just in his own head with confidence. Just has absolutely zero drip. Poor guy. But uh, I don't know. Do we learn that? Uh, I don't care. I'm gonna say it. Uh, he sacrifices himself um, for lands, which ends up being irrelevant. Like a, it's a good B plot, I'd say. Uh, maybe a C plus plot, but. He, he sacrifices himself for lands. I'm not sure if we learned that in that part of the game. I forget, but regardless, it that happens. So, um, spoiler, we win the fight, and we drive back um, Agni Forces, and Noah sends the people off, which is off-seers in this world have these specialized flutes. They play a melody, and they send off the voices of the departed. So, in the game, you see when they die... They kind of have like this red like pixel particles falling out of them, and they turn to blue as to kind of like they get a peaceful send off to the afterlife. So, you know, a, a good deed that Noah does there. But uh, they miss, unfortunately, for Lanza and Uni, they they miss the they miss the train back to uh, Colony Nine, so they have to walk there, and that's kind of like you know a, a tutorial in combat, a little bit of world building. Um, but regardless, um, we get back to Colony Nine, <laughs> the, the the mixed genders bathe together, yeah, sure, yeah. but. Then we are, um,
0: yeah. God, I have a little bit of Xenoblade Two in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, a little. You got to a little Xenoblade horny, guys. There. Come on.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was at that point. It was at that point where I was like, "Oh God, is this is gonna be?" Uh, I was again?
1: worried this would be like a consistent thing at every colony. Like we just have to, we have to mix. Right, we're just gonna bake it, uh, it's, uh, it's
4: fine.
1: <laughs> oh, thank God. Yeah, thank God. This is a one-off. <laughs> I was very worried, but. Mm. Um, we get attacked by an unknown alias, and this is like literally we get a quick, we get a bath, a quick, you know, like half hour nap, and then we are immediately ambushed by another party. So Noah has an uneasy feeling about this and this this entire operation, just because they there's everything's uncertain. They have no there's no known common denominators. It's all a bunch of risk. But target an unknown. I, uh, I don't think they're attacked.
0: Like they just see a big uh, ether reading. So they're going that. on a recon. <laughs> I was about to say they, they see this big ether reading that is not Cavesi or Agnian, and Agnian forces seem to be engaging it. So Yeah, that's
1: right, because it doesn't it doesn't go straight to colony nine, it kinda like goes to the surrounding area. So yeah, yeah, so then right.
0: colony nine goes to intercept to A beat Agnes's ass and B figure out what this ether source is. So that's why we that is the next mission that Noah and Co. are deployed to.
1: Very Go ahead. If I could,
2: if I could just break into one thing, um, in regards to the colony specifically, uh, because I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say like the colonies are like how all the military units are aligned. Like you said, uh, your colony literally has to kill to sustain their life energy. Like that's that's just part of the nature of this world. Um, when I discovered that that was gonna be like the town unit and didn't have actual towns like Xenoblade Two, like the towns in Xenoblade Two are like really cool and really beautiful and like vastly different and varied and i felt like the colonies were like all kind of the same uh throughout the game i that that turned me off just a little bit that there weren't like traditional like towns and cities in the sense of a jrpg but it ends up working for the the sake of the story i just wanted to touch that in there just a little bit
1: yeah definitely we'll, we'll get to that later but the, the world right. building here there's only really one place this game has like real world building but like you said the colonies right. got a little bit run down so with all that said as um as Master Samsel alluded to, uh, the unknown aircraft we go to, you know, scout it out, and we, I don't, if they either drop this stone or it's just there, but they're regardless, they are guarding a stone which we come to discover as the Ouroboros stone. We don't know that yet, but that's what it is.
0: So before our party, our- the proper nouns begin exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, this this aircraft had like a cloaking device on it that was sort of like getting hammered with Agni and forces, and we're fighting them on our way down this valley. Uh, we're fighting these strange, uh, what are the smaller machines called?
1: Uh, Automans? Ottomans? Automotons? I don't fucking
0: know. Not Pharaonises. Uh, Levenesses? Automatom- Leveness. Levenesses, yeah. So, like, Xenoblade has this, this kind of hierarchy of machines. Uh, the big boys that you can fucking live in are Faronises, Uh And the little sort of, like, mech vehicles that you pilot, almost like Titans in Titanfall, uh, are called Levenesses. So... We're going to be doing a lot of terminology. Just figured we'd get that out now. But we're attacked by these (laughs) Levenesses that don't have a pilot. So they call them automatons. Uh, They're this, like, army green color. Uh, They have machine guns where everyone else has had, like, laser guns. These guys have, like, fucking force multipliers uh, on their arms, and they're just trying to shoot us. Uh, But, yeah, we take them down as we are descending into this valley. And I believe the people of this ship had had this Ouroboros stone on the ship, and they were transporting it back to uh, their place of origin, that we will get to later. Uh, <clears throat> but unfortunately, they were shot down by uh, Agnian forces, which we are now intercepting. So yeah,
1: those fucking Agnians. So uh, we get to um, our Kvesi party, like gets to the uh, gets to the stone while they're scouting it out. They get to the stone. They're kind of hidden behind the trees. They're like, "What should we do?" They decide to pursue the stone. They are cut off by three Agnian special force troops. And we engage in traditional Xenoblade combat. Um, I, Tyler, did, did you tell me you lost to them the first time? Or so- uh,
0: yeah, I got my ass kicked <laughs> by them the first time. Uh, I don't know what happened, but I—I I guess I just forgot to heal. That's like I, I didn't take easy mode, kids. Like I didn't take over. I was playing on normal. I didn't take over Uni, and I—I I, I didn't click mass heal, and they just killed me.
1: But <laughs> right, Eric, right. uh, one
0: for one.
2: Uh no I didn't die by him but I died by some other stuff like on the way here because <laughs> some of the enemies in the field are deceptively difficult if you run into them and uh just because something tells you it's a level five and you're at a level five doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready to take it on so indeed um, you got to be level six yeah it pretty much or like have really have your your proverbial shit together of like your strategy about like switching between units and make sure your heels are up and all that kind of stuff so um but no I no I didn't end up
1: yeah so after we beat them in battle um maybe the most badass scene in the game ensues where we come to uh, the, the 3v3 I've watched this fight over and over again on YouTube. I just I love it so much. It's so um, fucking
0: awesome. Yeah, it's, it's very well. It's Corey so
1: ran. good. It's, it's one of those 15 minute cutscenes, but the 14 minutes are just awesome. So mm. it's forgiven. But we come to find out that these three are also on the box art, and they are Mio, Senna, <laughs> and Tyon. Um, Mio, a fellow offseer like Noah, and a defensive unit, a Zypher. Her blazing speed makes her lethal on the battlefield and she's the leader of the Agnes group. So we did a quick character study on Noah, giving our non-spoiler thoughts on him. Let's do one on Mio because she is the Noah of this group and I will start with Tyler. Non-spoiler thoughts on Mio. I mean... If you have any that are not spoiler
0: Like <laughs> how... It's hard to do it non-spoiler because there's so much of this game is... Like in the end is focused on this character... And just the relationship that uh that she has with with the the rest of the party and her unique circumstances that we'll get into soon but i mean she was just a treat really uh i mean her vo- uh again voice acting performance was was fantastic uh a- after learning about Xenoblade after hearing Xenoblade 2 cutscenes i was really worried about the voice acting in this game uh <laughs> Hey, no offense again. No offense to the voice actors. I just think the scripts in Xenof. I think the dialogue writing in Xenoblade Two, kinda not great. Uh, but in this game, uh, I am glad to say I was proven very wrong. I think all six of our main leads could go for best performance uh, in in my mind. But Mio, man, holy shit, just a- amazing fucking character. Pro- probably my favorite of the core six. Uh, for sure and we'll get into the reasons as to why I'm sure in this you know fucking three and a half hour long episode whatever this is gonna end up being uh hopefully not but yeah Mio's great Eric what do you think
2: Mio's best girl I mean I I, I don't gotta say much more than that (laughs) uh I I think yeah on, on certain levels I think I did end up enjoying her her character arc more than more than Noah's even though they're kind of kind of linked together um and just a tiny side tangent. The best thing they did for the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 script was give all the Nopons less lines. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my god. Because, you're kidding. Oh my god, dude. It was like every cutscene of Nopon was talking in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I wanted to like gouge my eyes out. It was uh it was bad. Yeah. Uh, even though they're still like prevalent, they're not like as prevalent, which thank god. But yeah, no, Mio is the way they introduced it, the way they kind of introduced like the dueling, the dueling core three, I thought was was very very cool like you said that cutscene is just is unbelievable i've watched that cutscene a few times too so uh, good. classic xenoblade cutscene stuff there where it's just high stakes high action for like 15 minutes and you're like is this ever gonna end and no it doesn't ever end so but yeah uh mio i, I would probably uh or say the same thing you did is like, yeah my favorite character probably in in this game has to be mio just because of of everything that kind of she goes through in parallel with noah
1: yeah, when when that fight scene's ensuing and Noah figures out her like pattern and like I think he hits her and I'm like Noah beat her ass and I'm so glad he didn't I'm <laughs> yeah, so happy seriously. he did not so oh, yeah. I
2: yeah first time you're just like no these people came out to ambush me beat no their no ass. mercy like like screw these people
4: <laughs>
1: I'm like Noah I'm like oh shit Noah's about to fuck her up but he didn't so. Um, Th- Thankfully, he did not because I'm just going to echo everything you two said. Tyler got me a Mio's flute keychain as a Christmas gift, so need I say, need I say more? But
4: hell
1: yeah! Uh, continuing on to this Yee-dee. girl, Yay! Uh, Senna, <laughs> um, a heavy hitter who wields just a giant hammer. It is huge. Self-described as way stronger than she looks, Senna is roomies with, with Mimi, who, who is Mio, and will fight to protect her friends like Ike. And then we have Tyon, um, the Tyler of the group. The strategist and smartest guy in, in any room he's in, Tony Stark, figures out things in four <laughs> seconds. Um, controlling an AI-type weapon called Mondo, which is badass. Tyon is always cautious and... Oh, Taiwan is always cautious over carelessness, whether in or out of battle. So, like I said, this awesome scene's playing, and Mio and Noah are seemingly about to deliver the final blows to each other, but they are tackled by like a six-six, just two forty-five <laughs> shredded human, um, a human being. Which um, Noah and Mio they don't know what a human being is, and that's going to be a plot point here in the story. But this man's name is uh, Gernica Van Dam, who explains that the current way of life that Kevnis and Agnes live, excuse me, it's not correct and it's a cycle that needs to be broken. And before he can finish giving them kind of, the, <laughs> before he can finish, I'm reading the script, the game, he is fatally wounded by um, a monster, like this big kaiju type monster who we come to learn is a, a Mobius, so... The party cannot defeat the Mobius, and the party teams up. I think I think this is a six-team combat, or maybe it's just the three of them. I don't remember, but six or three, it doesn't matter. Uh, they can't finish him off, and uh, Mobius here, he's about to finish off Mio, and then Noah moves into Protector. Again, these two sides are sworn enemies, so this is kind of like a big deal early in the game and gives a lot of character to Noah. But Noah moves into Protector. Guernica, the fatally wounded Guernica, is trying to, like, he's bashing on the stone, like, begging for it to work, and when Noah goes into Protector... Stone activates, and these two basically enter each other's subconsciousness. They're reading each other's memories, and doing this sets off what is going as an interlink, where they just turn into this, like, what's that, what's that cartoon, like, from the, that they just transform this giant mech, basically. And yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, Gundam? I, no, yeah, no.
1: like...
0: Yeah. <laughs> It, it's or like,
1: swarms. yeah, I, I forget what it's called, but I do too. It, it, it just kind of just give paint a picture. This they are also now a giant kaiju, so it's kaiju versus kaiju. And if I remember correctly, you kind of beat the Mobius's ass when you are interlinked with Noah and Mio. Uh, Noah being in control, Mio kind of flying co pilot, they drive back the Mobius, and Mobius kind of explains, like, we're sworn enemies, you and I. And it's kind of like weird writing, but it's like, ah, okay, I get the point. Like, yeah, like wrote, this guy.
0: Up. This guy comes out uh, as this big fucking monster. You're like, oh, God, what is this? But then he starts talking like a snarky fucking asshole. Uh, and I'm <laughs> it's like, like Metal
1: Face. I was and, like, um, what the know, wait, hell yeah. is
0: going? What is this personality that they're giving to this thing that does not look like it should have fucking sentient thoughts? He's like saying, sup, boys, and like, he's like what are you yeah, doing? he's like, ah, <laughs> uh, that's too bad. He's got like a gravelly voice. He's he's He definitely, just his confidence was like, very intimidating with his form as well it's like he he sees you as like so much lesser than him uh, and he's like you know shit talking guernica and just he takes he takes his casual of like motion, body
1: and just reads it and he's like yes, yeah that's what i was gonna say
0: yeah when colby says kaiju we're not talking like godzilla level we're talking like you know like 12 Design feet wise. like like 12 feet tall but like does like visual wise Like kaiju, yeah, but like their their hands are like
1: swords, so like yeah, I know like they they got
0: claws, they got like horns and jagged teeth and crazy crazed eyes and cores in their stomachs. I mean, when I first saw Mobius,
2: the monster, I was I I got big devil vibes like immediately. I was like, oh god, am I going to be fighting Satan in this game? Which isn't that far off course for like a JRPG, yeah.
0: But yeah, he, I, I believe after you you beat. Uh, this Mobius in, in the fight, he's like, "The world will become your enemy." I think is the most poignant thing that that he says. Uh, and this like infinity symbol sort of like glows in one of his eyes before he, you know, I think he teleports out. That's the first time we see yeah He just bamps out. We see the yeah he bamps out. This is the first time we see the Mobius bamp. Uh, but yeah, he's like, "The world will become your enemy. Peace out, boys," and he leaves.
1: That, that that's exactly what happens. I couldn't say that any better myself. But in in, in interlinking in this process, um, so the flame clocks are th- the citizens and soldiers are linked to their colony's flame clocks. When Noah and Mio fused, and it doesn't explain how this happens to the other four, but when they fuse together, uh, the, the 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 cycle breaks and they're no longer bound by their flame clock. So Colony Nine's flame clock could be like. Let's say, for instance, it could be cut in half, which that could happen, and they wouldn't die and they'd be fine. So yeah, uh, um, I
0: think we should also preface. Ev- seemingly, everyone in this world, uh, par for a few citizens of a certain town that we'll get to later, have like computers in their heads uh, that they access. I call it the iPhone. They, yeah, they <laughs> they access it through their
2: iris. Uh, That was literally a Futurama episode where it's, like, it's the iPhone, but it's
0: in your eye, so. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, think of that. They sort of, like, tap their, like, temples. Uh, Oh, it's so cool. Kevis' irises are in their right eyes, and Agnes's are in their left, I believe. Oh, hey. Nice foreshadowing. (laughs) Yeah, I think I remember that. But, yeah, so, like, their iris is, like, you know, this whole, like, heads-up display, it has all sorts of information, they can use it to to talk to each other, send information back and forth, all sorts of stuff. Iris is a very popular multi-tool that all of these citizens of this world are sort of outfitted with. Uh, And, you know, your iris would usually show how much life you have left, how much life energy your your colony's flame clock has left, and therefore how much time you have left. But when all of them become Ouroboros... Uh, you know, all six of them are affected by the stone and they all become Ouroboros. That is, they are basically shunted out of that system. So they are, exist- they are able to function outside of that, you know, life harvesting system. So that's what that's what they come to realize shortly after this fight. But Guernica, the man who has, you know, sort of set them on this, has sort of started all of this, is still alive. So Colby, why don't you tell them what, what, what Guernica's final revelations are.
1: So yeah, as, as Guernica here is is dying like they someone says like he's so wrinkly and he like, looks like a prune and he's like this is normal damn it. Like, he's like you guys are the weird ones so mm-hmm. Guernica basically tells them that like the cycle of life that they are trapped in like it needs to be broken and in order to do that they need to go to Sword March and just free Ouroboros basically is what he says and he kind of like also pixelates, dies. He, he dies and like kind of spirit kind of like floats away. And it's then like you know, an Obi Wan Kenobi death where like the body disintegrates, but the clothes are left behind. Yeah, his his drip his drip remains behind. And <laughs> True, indeed, um, yeah, just like with Obi Wan Kenobi, his his badass robes just laid there. But he dies, and Noah and Mio, in a touching tribute of harmony, uh, send off not just Guernica, but all of the fallen comrades in this brutal battle and despite this and despite now having um their google friends available in their irises uh they do not decide to um hit uh friend request and they still go their separate ways kind of like tyon and lands leading the charge for their own respective teams of like what yeah, they- like i get it we just fought together but still it's these guys are the enemy no matter what this is a one-time thing and uh noah and mio like painting the picture for those two, they kinda like look back at each other in this Japanese type way and they <laughs> go on their own and they go on their own. And for the first time we take control of a character that's not Noah, we take control of uni as we head back to Colony Nine, but as Tyler pointed alluded to, our world is literally the enemy because Colony Nine is trying to kill our asses. Because remember, we are not connected to their flame clock anymore. We are Ouroboros and the world sees Ouroboros as its enemy. So this is also happening with Mio because we go over to them as well, and they attempt to go to Colony Gamma, and they just have the same problem. So they turn around, they come back to the scene of the crime, and they go to where uh, the human being ship crash lands, and they propose to work together and go to Swordmark, like Guernica said. They have these cute little icebreakers. Still a lot of tension, which I liked at the beginning mm-hmm. of the game. The tension yeah. is there for a long time yet. Like, it's, it's a long game. So. But it's there for a good chunk of it, and... That's the end of chapter 1. Uh, Mio re- uh, writes in her diary like what's going on and that's kind of like the that's like the epilogue of each chapter. Is no Mio's little narrations which get more and more heartbreaking as we go along because I forgot to mention there's these the, everyone in this world has a life cycle of 10 years which is like really important on the wise the at least
0: at least Cavesi and Agnes citizens do.
1: So Kavesi and Agnes citizens are shown to have a life cycle of 10 years. Now, your obviously your life cycle can be cut off before then, but once you get to your 10th year, like the day of your 10th year, you participate in a ceremony called the homecoming and it is painted as like this big on uh, like kind of like a living funeral almost, think of it like that where they celebrate your life, they get all the officers up there and they send you off and like you're honored by the queen and all that. So Mio is three months away from her homecoming so and everyone else is about two years so Mio is the oldest and she and her kind of isn't like in like a race against time and that is going to be a relevant plot point going forward but as I said that concludes chapter one that took me about four hours on easy mode probably was longer for you two since you two are more polished gamers but (laughs) any um any more notes on chapter one? So that's the that's the story of Xenoblade Chronicles three. That is the main objective. What we get to next will be completely just rundown of chapters until a certain one, but just rundown of chapters and just spoiling the hell out of it. But any closing thoughts on chapter one, Eric, I'll start with you.
2: Yeah, I think uh first of all the way they do the the time span, like ten years of a person's life and the way they frame it as like Mio has three months left before she her, her life essentially runs out um, really adds kind of a sense of urgency to the to the journey that you're on and I and I really kind of like that aspect because it points that at certain points you're 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 effing around in the game walking around and and people will be like, yeah, do we like have time to be helping these people? Do we have time to be doing X and such side quests because she only has three months left to live? Like, we're wasting time on this, and that's a kind of a cool thing. Um, the point you brought up about how there's tension in the group is, is really cool because, uh, yeah, a lot of JRPGs are just like, hey, we're a party now, and we work flawlessly together, and there's not really like that kind of growing period that would naturally occur when you just join forces and like form a team with somebody so i think that 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 is very well done too uh the two kind of foreshadowy things in chapter one that looking back that are they're that kind of cool is um when they were interviewing the, the peep the dev team for xenoblade chronicles 3 like they said that this is like an there's obvious connections to the first two games and that this is this is a sequel to those games and that might not inherently apparent right off the bat, but um, Guernica Van Dam is a character that also occurs in Xenoblade Chronicles too, so kind of a tie back to that game right there. And uh, the Mobius monster that we saw, Mobius has like the infinity symbol, and what they're named after is is a mathematical shape called a Mobius strip that is an infinitely intertwining back on itself mathematical symbol that is different any way you look at it. And realizing that now... Kind of goes with the theme of this world is called Ionios, which is like never ending. And it's super interesting to see kind of the way all these things interact, uh, going back and kind of realizing this. So um, I didn't appreciate it at first, but now looking back at it and having like had some time to think about it and look at some videos. Chapter one does a really great job of framing and foreshadowing like everything that's about to, to come forward.
1: Yeah, they do a great job of painting the picture of what's to come. There's another cool thing about Chapter One, as far as Mobius goes, that we'll get to here in a little bit. But Tyler, quickly over to you, before we continue on the story here.
0: Yeah, uh, I just think like the uh, just the shift, you know, like these these six individuals on opposing sides, you know, fighting to the death. They th- like they think it's nor like they're they think it's normal, you know. Just another day. Like, to fight and to die, that is your existence. And then this, you know, man six times your lifespan comes along, tells you, no, that's not the case, and dies after you fight a huge-ass monster together, you know, as reluctant teammates. And then after that happens, obviously there's still trust issues, but they're like, no, we, we can't deal with this. We need to go back to, to our homes. Like, this is... We need to get back to business as usual. We need to forget this ever happened. Some force in the world that is against uh, Ouroboros seems to have control over this cycle that the entire world is in, that all of their friends and family uh, in their colonies are trapped in, so therefore they are now the enemy, Uh, which then forces them back right to where they came to become reluctant heroes, again, reluctant teammates, Try and figure out what's going on. And it's just a really good start. Like, you, you can just see this long road ahead. Like, it's very much layout. Like, you got a long road ahead, but, you know, you got to take that first step. And, you know, that whole sort of debate back at the crash site uh, between the two parties about, like, you know, are we going to do this? Uh, I think it was really, really well done. And, you know, I, I like, I loved the slow burn really, of the trust uh, that got to... A lot of people say that the trust came too fast. I disagree. I think it was very well-paced. You know, there were... Even during the cutscenes later on in the game, or, like, in the middle sections, you know, there are still some... You know, the relationships are constantly strengthening throughout the whole thing. You know, it's not just immediate. They It builds up and builds up over time. Each character... I was afraid that each character wouldn't get to interact with every single person in the group, but I think every single person interacts with every single person in a meaningful way, which is really hard to do with a cast, with like a main cast of six. So uh, it was just a great foundation. You know, it built up intrigue and mystery and, uh, and it very, you know, quickly and efficiently made you care about these characters, even though you didn't know them for that long. And now you feel like you're going on the journey with them. You feel like you're right there, you know, with them helpless, not knowing not knowing what's going on, but you need to learn together if you're going to survive, like it's the only option. So just just a fucking great start. I, I love it.
1: is now the chapters two through seven narrative beats so again we're spoiling things here so if you if you have the background of xenoblade three and you're interested in playing it and want to play it i recommend you stop here come back in two months when you beat the game (laughs) and finish off the episode so without further ado uh here we go so chapter two starts with these again these high tech people like the same ones on top in the very beginning of the game that are controlling these They're called consuls, and they are having this meeting at like this amphitheater. And this is our first mentioning of a character named Zed, who is the leader of this these cronies. And they send consul K. <laughs> it's the alphabet. You're fighting the alphabet. They send consul K to Colony Four to task Silvercoat Ethel with eliminating Ouroboros. Silvercoat Ethel is probably there are these characters called heroes, and she's probably the most relevant hero when it comes to the story in the beginning, anyway, because. She is this esteemed general. Um, I forget what they call the leaders of the colonies, but she's like this esteemed commanders. Esteemed, yeah, commanders. Co- yes, com- commander. Yes, commander Ethel. Commander Ethel. She is this esteemed commander who has a like great reputation and is a, a badass in battle. But she does know Noah lands in Uni from a past encounter, and they all know of her greatness and her legacy. So this is right away a, a problem in this world if Silverco Ethel is on your tail. So. Yeah,
0: and I will say,
1: just real quickly before you can continue on... Go, go for it.
0: The, the consoles, right? So we, we saw them on top of the Faronises in the first opening scene, so obviously they are, like, the big brass, right? Like, the top brass of Ag- Agnes and Kevis. But, like, we see them, and they're all together. Like, it doesn't seem like they're, like... There's Agnes uh, consoles and Kevis consoles. They're all together. The game makes it very clear that these guys are... The bad guys they are they are behind this cycle of this world and like they are the ones that our characters will be facing off against they make that very clear but they don't really reveal a lot about them after that they're like yep these guys are obviously bad they're scheming they're you know they are behind everything they're a shadowy organization that's like behind this whole conflict between these two nations but why is not revealed for a long time, so you were just really left in the dark to wait. Even as a player with that more knowledge of the character, like, more knowledge than the character you're playing as has, you you still feel like you're left in the dark, because you, you really don't know a lot more about them besides the fact that they exist, and they're assholes, and they want to kill you. So, I just, I just like how the game very, like, it's like, here they are, here's, like, the bad guys, but we're holding back information. We're going to, like drip feed it to you it's like you know the water bottle's there immediately but then it's just a slow like chase of it to try and figure out what the hell is actually going on and slowly putting the pieces together over time so i really like that reveal of of the consoles and their role and of course the consoles are mobius we can say that now
1: yeah and the villains catch a lot of flack in this game but and i do agree that it's probably the weakest of like the storyline plots is these guys like what their real motivations are, they aren't revealed till like they're on their deathbed. So, uh, but I do. But you are right. The initial setup for consoles and Mobius is, is pretty good. A slow burn, a lot like the rest of the story. So we continue towards Sword Mark. I believe we are in heading towards all. Uh, not a Fedo Valley. That's earlier in the game, but whatever. Uh, we're getting to the Mario Desert level, which is my dreaded level. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, Mio notices Noah's sword and how it's special, and every every Xenoblade protagonist, something is up with their sword. Whether it has literal um, deities inside of it or can kill gods, uh, this one is just up there on that level. So Noah tells a story about his sword, which, long story short, get the flashback of them as kids. Noah, it he, t- he says he can't, so you call your weapons in this game, a lot like Final Fantasy 15, where you just, like, put your hand out and your weapon comes into your hand. Noah is, like, having a mental block, he says. Um, they get their asses beat in a fight by... Their rivals which never they never really amount to anything they're kind of just like storyline plots for the for the flashbacks um, Noah then like confesses that he doesn't draw his weapon because he hates the way the world is so he's been this way for a long time and what is Riku's reaction to that Riku's the master pawn who is like a swordsman and Manana is the no is the cooking no pawn for the Agnes people you have to have no pawns it's a blade game so yeah what does so Riku decides to give the kid who hates fighting the strongest weapon in the universe? called lucky seven which is basically a blade powerful enough to cut through anything noah says he doesn't want to take which it which he just but...
0: happens to have
2: by the <laughs> <He> way <just> <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> never <laughs> explained
0: by the way like
2: no he just, it's, it's has just like this... my he's like my master pawn gave it to me and you're just like who
1: <laughs> yeah no that, that, it's been re- it's been inferred who it is uh but again not really told in this direct story kind of do some digging for that but Noah right. decides to make. Well, this, is, this is a pretty cool reveal that Noah's sword is actually a sheath for Lucky Seven, which is pretty cool. So we get to see um Which is a great
2: sword name, by the way. Great,
1: Lucky Seven's a great name. I, I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Lucky Seven. It's such a cool weapon. Like, I God, I love it so much. But um, it's sick. so we get to um the we get to the oasis. Uh, Mio is dying of heat exhaustion She sees water Perks up Her cat ears go up I go aw And they run towards the (laughs) oasis And And this is another Humanizing um, You know The the gang's together And they're all getting along Everyone's swimming Except Tyon Because he's You know Uptight And then You learn how to chain attack Friendship bond Keeps growing And um, Mm -hmm. You get Mm -hmm. ambushed By Colony 4 And by a now Possessed Ethel Who Tyler alluded to earlier The red irises Ethel has that going on now. So, a literal like feranas and a ton of Lebnesses are chasing you through the mountains and you are but you are cut off where you can escape and you are forced to fight Ethel in combat. Uh, because we are the heroes, we win and Consul K, who has been on the frost this whole time, uh, equips his lightning materia and casts Thundaga on Ethel, <laughs> knocking her unconscious. Uh, so great. I love Pretty every sure time. I, I I love when ff is reference video game it's my favorite so <laughs> honestly like with ethel with ethel's reputation
0: i really thought we weren't gonna fight her there like i i thought she was gonna be like a fight later in the game but oh, no, no you just you just you just fight and beat her now
2: which yeah, no that's 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 I, classic I xenoblade like stuff in the in the second game that happens too like kind of early on where like they send the most powerful driver and the most powerful blade of the empire to like hunt you down. And I'm like, Oh, this will be a fight like mid game. And then like three hours. in, it's like, you're fighting this person. You're like, excuse me. (laughs) Like what?
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like maybe it's like shows just how the power of Ouroboros has elevated our own, our party like so much already from their base cells. Uh, That's sort of how I rationalize it. But yeah, we, we beat Ethel uh, and then, you know, well, console. There's also, K. there's also six. There's also six of us and one of her. So, like, true. Tr- I, I suppose yes.
1: There's no like, all the time. The six cast, special the cast forces was like, versus one commander.
0: True, true. I suppose you're right, but regardless, we do defeat her. And then, yes, the console K. Okay. Uh, pretty much everyone except us, like trust, like trust the consoles. Uh. Because they are, like I said, they're the big brass, so, you know, the commanders answer to the consoles. Uh, obviously, our party knows that, sh- knows that they are fucking assholes, but pretty much no one else knows. Uh, and, and even if they do know, they are sort of stuck in this life and death system, so they don't really have a way to fight back.
1: Then we learned that, this is when we learned that Consul and Mobius, they're the same thing, because he transforms into a Mobius and begins to pull the life force around the soldiers, the, Con- the Colony force soldiers, even Ethel's, and, you know, for storyline, per- for she she is saved by plot armor, thank God, but um, in this fight, not only do Noah and Mio interlink, but Tyon and Uni and Senna and Lands first change into Ouroboros as well, and this was alluded to in Chapter 1, because um like lands and center are doing like this homie hot like training and tyon's yeah. like well f- tyon's like well fuck i'm with the i'm with the white chick so that's just kind of how they Jesus Christ. Just, oh, just kind of how they kind of how the character is it, is she am i wrong
0: no you're not he's not jazzed about it for sure and i don't I know, think Yudi was either at the beginning
2: i don't think i don't think he'd be jazzy paired with anybody exactly. if i'm being honest exactly <laughs> so, he, on, he yeah. hates
1: his he hates his own team so Regardless, they <laughs> transform into Ouroboros, and d- and despite this, they still can't defeat the Mobius, because it's like they all have a niche, and of course this one's is Regen, so not only does it have Thunder material, it has Cure as well, and it has been upgraded twice to Regen, so that's a problem, <laughs> but um, Noah and Mio have this Gigabrain idea to destroy the Flame Clock with, what you may ask, Lucky 7, so... They fuse into Ouroboros. They jump up, um, like they high five or whatever. They break apart, and um, Noah then cuts the flame clock in half, and his 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 regen force is cut off. So when you just defeat him, he dies. Of course, he's an enemy, so he's afraid of death. So he dies, and then I think Tyon's like, let's let's see. Tyon lands is like, yeah, let's just rip his mask off and see what he looks like. And he's a human. He looks very similar to Guernica. He's old. He's wrinkly, and uh, except this one's evil, so he's, he's seen some shit. And against all wishes from the party, I think literally everyone's like, "Noah, please, please do not do this." Like, the the script does not say you have to yeah, do this. Yeah. He, he sends him off anyway.
0: So yeah, Tyon uh, throws out the prospect that the consuls and queens may have a hand in the the chaos of war ravaging the lands. Uh, of course, uh, they obviously are attacking. Uh, Ouroboros and mind controlling people. So not a not a hugely uh, complicated problem to solve tie on uh, a couple of red flags there for sure. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Noah ties together that Mobius and the consuls are the same. So the the people that they have been, uh, you know, serving under all this time, uh, they realize are the enemy now, uh, which obviously has a bunch of implications because they have all the resources and have control over every single colony in the land so that's not great uh but yeah we we then cut immediately to the kevis queen uh who is this sort of black dress uh masked figure with with wings coming out of her head much like uni uh with with a staff uh who orders the elimination of uh ouroboros uh, and the agnes queen uh and again another masked figure uh, with a white dress and long, uh, uh, tall cat ears, uh, also orders the same. And then that brings the end to the chapter. So the official order to eliminate Ouroboros, uh, you know, continent-wide, has been unleashed by both Agnes and Kevis. Uh, so while they are still fighting each other, Ouroboros' is kill on sight for pretty much anybody in the fucking land. So yeah, odds are stacking against our heroes at the end of chapter two. Shocking. Okay, I'll, I'll I will do my best. So that brings us to chapter three. Uh, in Colby's words, it's kind of a snooze fest. You know, uh, this <laughs> one of those Come on, one of those slow burn. It's okay. It's needed because you know, I feel like the slow burn helps the eventual you know highs reach. Their yeah, high the oven level, was like so. at
1: three fifty. We turned it down to like two twenty. Like we're just in cooling off now.
0: Yeah. This chapter is heavy on Tion lore. Everyone gets their own sort of backstory. Uh, you know what they've been through. Uh, sort of working through. Sort of like finishing off the journey that their backstories began.
1: <laughs> you think that, um, uh, you think what they were making this game, like the desert, like, like, God, they're going to wonder why Tyon's such an asshole. Let's just give them the background in chapter three to flesh this out a little bit.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> hey,
1: I, I appreciate
0: that they started with Tyon because of all the characters, he would be the one that people
1: maybe prickly on I, the yeah, most. I so agree.
0: putting his backstory first sort of rounds it out a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it opens with the flashback of Tyon's origins. The story of how Ethel got demoted all the way down to Dirt Ranked is told. And after completing a quest to get a supply drop, which uh, introduces hero quests, uh, where Ethel joins your party, which makes you a party of seven, though uh, heroes you cannot control in battle. So you can control your main six, you can switch between them at will, but you cannot control heroes. Uh, Yeah, Ethel, uh, now not brainwashed, assists us in getting to Sword March, uh, but the standard way takes roughly two months so time we don't have, as we've said, as I said, time we don't right. have a lot of, but that's just how we have to go. You know, you just we just have to book it. We have to butt the bullet and take that path. So just as we're about to leave the the Ribby Flats, which is where Colony Four uh, is now, you know, parked its ass and located, uh, the party is ambushed uh, in a by this kid named Valdi, who has a similar appearance to Lance, uh, and upon winning we learn that Valdi is mechanic and commander of Colony 30. Uh, We'll say now all Cavessi colonies are regular standard numbers, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, you know, standard numerical designations, Uh, but all Agnes colonies are sort of mathematical symbols, so like gamma, omega, uh, theta, things like that. So that's how you differentiate between the colonies. So Colony 30 is Valdi's colony. He's a Kvesi commander. Uh, another consul, who, the consul who oversees Consul 30, shows up uh, to question Valdi why he hasn't been working on this uh, ultimate leaveness project. Uh, the party decides to uh, sort of follow, help Valdi out, and uh, to no one's surprise, Consul Q tries to hijack Valdi's incomplete leaveness to try and murder the party, uh, which we handle... Well, no, I wouldn't say handily. This fight actually gave me a lot of trouble, but uh, But yeah, we we destroy Colony 30's Flame Clock and continue our way, and this sort of uh, introduces the mechanic of freeing colonies. So at every colony you visit, you're going to have hero quests uh, where you help out uh, the commander of that colony. Uh, Either you basically help the commander of the colony kill their console (laughs) and free themselves. (laughs) Uh, When Noah cuts the flame clock of their Pharaonus off, they are freed and they will then be on your side. They will help you or at least stay neutral in the fight uh, against the consoles uh, who have enslaved them for so long to the cycle of life and death. Uh, But continuing on, more hero quests, Riku and Manana. Uh, Riku and Manana, I believe we said, are the the no pawns. Riku is is the kavesi gang's mechanic and uh manana is the agnes gang's uh cook personal chef yes we then arrive adding, at sorry go ahead eric
2: i was just gonna say adding to the growing list of jrpg rikus that i have to keep track I was of about, so. yeah
0: exactly I was like oh my <laughs> god kingdom hearts uh,
2: and final fantasy 10 <laughs> yeah exactly Dude, Could
1: you imagine if like noah turned around it was just riku from kingdom hearts just standing there <laughs>
2: I mean,
0: all their problems would be solved right then and there. (laughs) Probably, yes. With his fucking car key blade. Uh, But yeah, so... We arrive at Colony Lambda at the tail end of of Chapter 2. This is the colony where Tyon was originally from before... Oh, wait, are we at Chapter 3? Oh, we are at Chapter 3. My apologies. Uh, Yeah, apologies. Chapter 2 was before. My bad. Yeah. We're in Chapter 3 now. Hey, everybody. We we have such good memories here. Steel traps. But... Yeah, we get to Colony Lambda, where Tyon is from. Uh, we find Commander Izzard under the control of a console. Uh, this time it is Console J, who has a sort of jester look about him. Uh, uh, we have to fight. A- oh, by the way, this these we have six. To, we
1: have to like, fight the colony. We have
0: to fight a fucking Feratus. We kick its ass. For the like, record. Yeah, when that happened, I was like, "Are y- I- I- my eyes went wide?" I'm like, "Are you fucking?"
1: Dude, the credits are about to roll.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was. It was a tough fight, but like holy shit, just caught me off guard. We we knock its turtle ass on its back, so it can't get Somehow. up. Somehow, uh,
1: break topple days, and then baby. we have
0: to. F- yeah, seriously, break topple days can never never get past it. But this time, console J confronts us, and they look very familiar. Uh, and as J removes his helmet, we see that it is the face of Yorin, the childhood friend of the kvesi gang. Uh, from way back when, before the all started, uh, he's acting f- much differently than he was uh, in those flashbacks. Very sadistic, very playfully evil and trickery. Uh, he explains he became Mobius because he never felt valued in any of his uh, in his life and wanted to matter. It it, it is definitely a weird. Like, you don't really get the full picture. He's very vague about it. Uh, but his whole, his Mobius niche power is that he can summon these sort of puppets of people, these, these mud puppets, as he calls them. Uh, unfortunately, it's a one-off mechanic, and we never see it again. Uh, but he uses it to torment our, our party with visions of their past and people from their past. We are able to beat him. Tyon works through his issues with Izzard and uh, their relationship with a person called Nimue uh who was sort of a mentor figure to Tyon as well as Commander Izzard and uh Tyon submitting to the peer pressure of because Tyon was the strategist, the the tactician of this colony. And he sort of gave in to the peer pressure. He he, you know, he's always cautious, even in this younger self and these flashbacks. And he suspected this trap from an advancing Cavesi force, but you know all the other soldiers were like Tyon shut the fuck up you're stupid let's just fucking <laughs> pincer attack them we have like five times the we have five times the amount of men we're good like stop being such a fucking nerd uh and lo and behold when they did that they got their fucking asses kicked and their colony invaded and Nimoy had to sacrifice herself to and, save and, and, and
1: like <laughs> and like Izzard blames Tyon for her death and Tyon's like dude i told you this was going to happen yeah right. so yeah that concludes chapter
0: 3, big tie-on chapter. Uh, this is not the end. Int- I, I, what I like about this game is even though this this chapter was heavily based on this one character, tie story does not end here whatsoever. Like, he, right. like, ties to Izzard and Nimue come back way further down the line in, like, other colonies' quests. So it's such a good internet-connected story. Everyone's backstories always come back around. It's, it's really fun.
1: I don't know how I forgot to add this in the chapter 3 notes, but this is the chapter where Uni sees the husk of herself. That is true. As we are scavenging through, true, yeah. as we're scavenging
0: through a battlefield a, a previous battlefield that's been razed to the ground, two great Pharaonises fell here. Uh, Uni sees this husk when Cabezia uh, or Agnian soldiers die; uh, their skin turns to like stone, and they just lose all life uh, from their body. They don't even look like they were human. Uh, but Uni finds. a a body with a dog tag on it that has her name and looks like her wings and all so she is not she's not doing good at all and that brings up like another whole mystery of like what like that person is me and I think she has like flashbacks as like looking at it like Mm -hmm. almost seeing into that version that that past life of her Uh, and seeing what happened to this husk uh, obviously again vague but we see that a mobius was involved so another mystery there to add at the end of chapter three but that's chapter three uh i, I really like that uh, i know that not a lot of huge like overarching story moments but a lot of character moments that set up a lot of uh moments going forward were set up here so a very important chapter to have
1: eric do you want to take chapter four
2: Uh, Well, I was going to say, just in kind of my thoughts on chapter three, it's like we all kind of talked when we were all going through chapter three that like that kind of felt like the slog chapter. That's kind of like the first time the game opens up where they kind of throw all of the like uh, side quests and stuff that you stuff you can do with the colonies. Like it's basically the the JRP, the meat of the JRPG burger where you're like doing a bunch of like the busy work and the side quests Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um but the one thing I'm glad that they did do in Chapter Three was I, I really liked the the console J, the Yorn reveal, uh, because up until then, like I kind of had like this vague idea of like, okay, I'm fighting Mobius, but like that like what? Still kinda of like understanding like what that was. Um, but Yorn really gave me like a target to like direct all of my hatred towards. Uh when like the first time with Yorn, I was like, I hate this we need kid. I am going to destroy Yeah, like I am going to destroy him with a like in, normally in JRPGs I I find like that one thing to like link onto. And uh early on before the kind of like a lot of the other reveals start happening, uh it was Yorn and I was like all right, like I don't know what the long term story in this, but my short term uh, motivation is to like e- like end him again. <laughs> but, like, well, he ended himself once when he saved Lance, but uh, is to like to like make him regret this decision ever happened. So uh yeah that was that was exciting but yeah i th- i think that the slogginess of chapter three kind of enhances the reveals that happen later uh definitely just kind of used to kind of pad out the game which is like that standard jrpg stuff so yeah from here
1: on out from here on out if we are at like the uh, we're like the we're at the peak of before the big drop of the roller coaster so but tyler okay. go ahead make your point
0: but yeah no uh yoren's reveal as we're talking about all the character moments. Yoren's uh, reveal shakes obviously all of his former compatriots, so the three Kvesi, uh members of the party, but especially Lands, because Yoren is the reason that Lands is alive right now. Uh, you know, Lands and Yoren have this complicated history with each other, where you know Lands was you know very hard on Yoren. Yoren uh, was never the best fighter, best soldier, uh, and uh, Lands just was was a hothead, you know, he he, he would get mad at Yorin for that, that they couldn't beat this rival group of, of young soldiers to get into, like, in, in their academy days. Uh, but that never lasted for long. Uh, Noah and Uni always mediated, and they were all still friends, you know, even though Lands was hard on him, he still cared for Joran, he just wanted him to be better, but he was too hard on him a lot of the time. Uh, but when the I believe they were in the. I believe they were the three of them were stationed at the Kvesi Castle region when they were young. That's where they trained, uh, or at least the city outside of the castle, rather. Uh, and when that was attacked by uh, an Agnian attack one day, uh, Yorin saved, self-sacrifice saved Lands from falling debris from a building. Uh, you know, and Lands looked back and saw him like smiling before he got crushed underneath. So this shakes Lance more than anything and that sort of starts a a plot for Lance's development going forward of like how how could Yoren make this choice this is not the person who sacrificed himself for me why would Yoren let why would he let me live you know now he has a chance to he never knew why Yoren did that for him and now he's back so he has a chance to ask that question but it's like not the same Yoren he knew or at least outwardly, it doesn't seem like that. So, you know, that starts a whole fucking trauma relapse for lands that will get answered down the line. So a lot of characters get their, their big fucking uh-oh moments in Chapter 3. So, but yeah, Eric, if you want to check Chapter 4, uh, give the listeners a different voice uh, to lead the conversation. <laughs> I'm awful at recapping a story, but we'll
2: see how this goes. Now, I don't remember exactly what was the catalyst. Yes. Then the next start in chapter four, there, the decision gets made amongst the group to go to, to Keva's castle. And I don't remember exactly. Destroy like, what destroy the, the annihilator. Catalyst for that one. Yes. It's because
0: the annihilator. Oh, the annihilator so yeah. we'll get some context on that real quick before we have Eric, uh, go to town. They, they, weren't going to immediate the, the party was not gonna pass directly through Keva's castle territory on their way to sword March uh, but it was sort of like a, a diagonal like they if they wanted to they could go there but obviously why would they uh, but it's only when the Annihilator is revealed this weapon that can just fucking mortar snipe anywhere on the map and just right. wipe out things in an instant using what are called annihilation events annihilation events are naturally occurring things that happen where basically it's just instantaneous destruction events. Like, right. it just... I was about to say, like, a just a point on the ground, boom, big sphere, uh, you know, outward in, just a, a big sphere of nothingness was left where something once was. Just instantaneous destruction usually happens in areas with a lot of this thing called Black Fog, uh, which messes with irises and mechanics. Uh, people aren't really sure exactly what it is, but... Uh, the party bear witness to, apparently, Kevesi Castle harnessing this black fog, condensing it, and, you know, manually activating this annihilation event effect wherever they want. So right. the party is like, fuck that noise, we gotta stop that before we do anything. So that is the catalyst for Chapter 4, going to Keves Castle.
2: Right, so the, the fourth chapter kind of just uh, encapsulates that that whole journey as you're traveling to Keva's Castle. Uh, you're traveling through an area known as the Wildwoods. Uh, you're ambushed by ninjas led by Commander Juniper. Uh, that's a like a bow attacking class, which is a pretty cool hero class that you can get access to. And doing her kind of hero quest, freeing their colony from the flame clock, gives you access to uh, riding down tightropes, which was amazing yeah. because if you've been traversing the map before this, uh, there's been like tightropes, like zip lines that have kind of like gone all over the place. You can't do anything with them. You're just like, man, if only I could like find a way to interact with these things, I could access so many more parts of the maps and check out all these other question marks I can't get to. But uh, you finally get to do that, uh, which uh, again, it was was great. It's a great traversal option. And um, yeah, I agree with your notes here. the The story for this colony is pretty cool because uh, Commander Juniper and her colony are just kind of out there in the woods. Like they don't get a lot of support uh from Agnes from their console so they're basically just out there like you said just they they're basically scraping by and like whatever life and whatever provisions they can kind of just scrounge together from their place out in the middle of nowhere essentially and uh yeah they're essentially just waiting to die and you know when Noah offers to destroy the flame clock for them and free them from that they were just kind of like indifferent to it they've already kind of accepted their fate and they're just like, well, this is the way it's always been. So, like, why does it? Why does it matter? Yeah. Um. It is at this point that I think we go to Kevin's castle, and um, Ethel has been called back there because, obviously, she's like supposed to stop them, and she's kind of been working with them, and you know, and it is revealed we get a little more a bit more backstory about uh, Ethel's story, and that she has uh, a rival on the other side of, in Agnes, uh, who is basically her counterpart over there, called uh, Kamaravi and they've been kind of fighting each other for, like, basically their entire careers, um, trying to, like, one-up each other, and they always, like, fight each other to stalemates and stuff. Um, so, they're called to the castle, uh, under orders from, uh, Consul's O and P. Two more members of Mobius, like you said, were literally fighting just the entire alphabet. Mm -hmm. Um... They're ordered to just go and kill Ouroboros and they're given two like special I think they're special like Pharonises. Yes. To like basically do
0: that. Uh like advanced, like super cool mechs. And uh They do hold they do you, hold them basically hostage though, because they threaten to annihilate colony four if they don't do
2: that. That's true.
0: That's true, yeah. And so Ethel's like, oh well that can't
1: happen. And the flame so, clocks on these Pharonases uh, are different. They're dependent on each other's life force versus mm-hmm. anybody else's.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So uh, special ways to just kind of force them to do like what they want to do. And um, sure enough, on your journeys, it's like you can you can see it coming a mile away uh, on your journey to the castle. I think it's probably pretty close to the castle of the outskirts. Mm -hmm. uh, They they predict where you're going and they ambush you. And what proceeds is a really freaking cool fight between two like giant mechs. Uh, I think you fight them to a stalemate or fight them to a point where, like, the boss battle ends. So it can end in the cutscene, naturally. And, um, yeah. you know, Ethel and Kamaravi... Well, Ka- I believe Kamaravi makes the first move where he's tired of, like, being controlled by the Mobius and his eye is glowing red. So he literally rips out his own eye to kind of stop that, which is a really, like, freaking metal moment. Like, so badass. And uh, him and Ethel basically agree to, like... Duel each other, fight each other one last time to see, like once and for all, like who's the best. Like this is what gives their life meaning. This is what they their whole life's been about. So, like let's settle it, like once and for all.
4: Here I come, Kamaravi! Let us cross blades one last time.
2: And they basically fight each other to like a mutual death. They both die in their fight. I believe they both, like, strike the killing blow, stabbing each other through the front. It's, like, at the same yep. time, yep. and they're just kind of locked there, and one of that's a epic moment, one of the coolest moments in this game. I love that moment so much, and basically agreeing to, like, go out on their own terms, be like, hey, like, this is our life. This is how we're going to end it. Nobody's going to take this away from us otherwise. Uh, after that, we get some stuff from... O and p i believe they show up or is that yeah no
0: that's right they they do that immediately yeah. after and they reveal that God. mobius can also interlink with each other
2: yeah which is pretty horrific because it's a pretty horrific disgusting interlink which like their one person's face is forward and the other one's like on the back of the head like straight up voldemort style yeah. oh it's it's disgusting it's terrifying and uh like you said i believe that that fight ends in a loss for the party
0: no, they actually, Are you saying it correctly? Uh, the battle between O and P, uh, no, th- that battle ends. I read the notes wrong. We
1: we win that fight. Yes, yes. That's right.
0: So you yes, win. That is, win that yeah, fight. go for it, Colby. Okay,
1: sorry. Yeah, long story short. Uh, we just out. They, 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 their interlinks last. Their interlink lasts too long, and if your interlink lasts too long, you are prone to literal self destruction. That's right. And, yeah, o and it causes evolved. an
0: annihilation event if you yeah. let your interlink.
1: Yeah. So O and P essentially cause their own annihilation event. We end up surviving it because again, we're the heroes in a JRPG. So. Then we make our way Mio to... Mew also
0: punches the fucking O&P fusion. Oh, yeah. Shit. Oh, like <laughs> yeah, she
1: does. Bare-fisted, and it blows them back
0: 20 feet. I'm like, what fucking the fuck? Fly,
2: flies forward. Like, straight up Dragon Ball Z. Flies forward They're and sick. just attacks him in the cheek. Awesome.
0: Also, I can't so believe badass. we forgot to mention this before, but I think this was in Chapter 3 that the Agnes uh, gang takes like takes the lead in the interlinks instead. So yes. we, we mentioned before how That's interlinks okay, a lot. how interlinks work is two individuals fuse together, make this sort of like twelve foot tall, like kaiju esque uh, it's much less monstrous than uh, the Mobius ones. Their design's uh, cool. Their shit. their forms are like sleeker, they're more mechanical looking almost. Uh, but like Colby said, when the, when we first mentioned Interlink, Noah took the lead in Mio's and his Interlink. Same with the – when the other two pairs. So Uni and Tyon, Uni took the lead. Uh, Lands and Senna, Lands took the lead. I think
1: even in, but, like, in the game, Senna's like, I wish we can control these things. and Yeah. The script listened. Right. I was about to say, Senna sort of sets it up. Like, I wish we would – like,
0: they're always piloting the Interlink. Like, we should take control. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, I believe I believe it starts with Tyon at the end, during the Colony Lambda fight when he saves Uni, Because uh, Yuni's from... tripping out
1: over the Chapter 3 flashback.
0: Yeah, and then Tyon <laughs> dives in the way, saves Uni. I think as a mirror to how Yuni, I think, dove him out of the way of an attack in their first interlink. Uh, and then Tyon reveals that the Agnes characters can take the lead and make a whole different interlink. So each pair of characters has two different fusions that they can do, which is fucking sick. <laughs> uh, yes. And the Agnes ones are more of like a white, like sort of color scheme, white and sort of pink highlights. And then the uh, Kavesi ones are more of like this deep blue uh, with like sort of red uh, highlights in between as well. So uh, it, it's just and whoever's in the lead, like it effect, it affects the physicality. Like Senna versus Lands, Lands taking controls like this big bulky shield one. But when Santa takes control, it's this you know small, nimble, white hammer wielding one. It's uh, so sick. But yeah, just figured we'd do that before we wrap up chapter four.
2: Right. So basically, after that, we make our way break into Kevin's castle, and the whole like I said, the whole point there is to destroy this annihilator to stop from just taking out any colony anytime that they choose. Uh, of course, we are confronted by uh, Yorn once again and console D now and very they do an interlink that's a more perfected refined interlink than the one that omp did so like omp's interlink was very monstrous and disturbing whereas like DNJ's it's still like monstrous but it, it's obvious that it's a more complete uh powerful version of that and it does look familiar and right
0: because that's the mobius that attacked us at the very beginning of the game it was yes. the fusion between d and j so Yorin was there from the very beginning Right after
2: seeing him get crushed by the building, it's like of course he had to be there from the building, which only fueled my hatred. And then the fact that he uh, interlinked with with D, who uh, I mean, all the all the Mobius console people are 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 awful people. <laughs> but D was just such a jerk, man. Uh, D must stand for douchebag because he's just like he had awful. to be intentional like, so, for sure. Yes, so annoying. Uh, so. Um, we actually end up losing that fight to them and pretty handily. Um, and if I believe that cutscene too, is actually features some pretty vicious, like
1: cut their limbs dismemberment? off. dismemberment.
2: Yeah. 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 Where if the first time I saw that, like I didn't know regrowing limbs as Ouroboros was a thing. So like when somebody like got their arm cut off, I was like, Oh, like yeah. that can't be a good thing, but it, it happens like quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, kind of terrifying there. Um,
1: but I think we, did, we ultimately did. Did we actually lose that fight? Yeah, because um, the only way we win it is because um, Uni's having the flashbacks and it's preventing her from doing her actions. And even with Tyon taking over, like because then he pour, he's like, oh, these horns like they aren't just a look. And then Tyon, of course, figures out like two seconds, tricks the D and J with the with the Mondo. Him and Uni do the the old switcheroo, and yep. they blow back D and J. I don't know who delivers the final blow, but. They're unable to kill them, because Tyon that's says right, the Mondo, right. like he can detect their life force. So, But but they do destroy, they the, do annihilator destroy the Annihilator. They do. Yeah, they yes.
2: Do. And I think that fight, I think how that fight ends is, it, I guess it's not technically a loss. It feels like a loss, just because how much you get your ass handed to you. But I think it, but, like, don't D&J, like, fall off the edge of yeah. the yes, they Yes, like they fall off you know, the like, edge, yeah. but they are still alive. Yeah. So that's how it is. And then that... Kind of clears our path to the, to the throne room where we can confront confront uh, the Kavassi Queen uh, all in black with a mask on and uh, a mysterious person who looks <laughs> different than all the other totally consoles, uh, different than all the other members of of Mobius, uh, totally mysterious, uh, who just simply goes by N Zareth the Queen. And it's at this point with that fight with the Queen where we find out that the Queen is a robot and that N is kind of the puppet master for everything that's been going on so far. Um, and I'll, I'll touch on N in just a second after afterwards. Uh, once this is all going on, uh, there's like a surprise attack by the ships that we saw Guernica in before, these kind of like more mechanical-looking ships. And uh, we find out that these people came... And flew in, kind of stole the cloning pods, which is where we discover like people that are are grown to be aged until they can like enter military training and then push out the door to fight. Uh, they take some of these cloning pods and in the ensuing chaos it gives our party some time to escape. And that basically kind of wraps up chapter four. If I'm missing anything huge, go ahead and jump in.
0: No, I believe that's right. I believe they, they enter the throne room and they find the... The pods, the these, these sort of growth. Well, they pods. weren't supposed
1: to go to the throne room. They were trying to escape the castle, but they get rerouted by, I presume, end. Yeah, right, right. Yes,
0: that's right. So they unwittingly find themselves in the throne room, and they discover, I believe, this is where they discover the cycle of rebirth. Yes, because uh, they see a young Ethel in one of these pods.
1: That is true. Yes. So it gets abducted revealed that, by the lost numbers.
0: Yeah, like when when you die. And are, you know, sent off. At the beginning of the game, it says you're returned to the queen. That's fucking literal. Because you get returned back into the cycle. You're reborn without your memories, of course. Right. But you're reborn to do it all over again. So that's how Uni was able to see her own dead body. Because Uni was just reborn in this new current one. Uh, without her memories of her past. Apparently the memories are still there. They're just repressed. Because... Me- she still has flashbacks of those moments, right. uh, but this is how the party discovers that cycle, uh, and you know it obviously flips their world even more on its head. And then N comes in, and do we fight N
1: in this?
2: I don't know. You do no, we do not. N. Do we fight no, the, the kvesi just... Queen
1: in this? Yes, we did. That's how we, we broke. You, her yeah, yeah, that's okay. when
2: you. That's when you like. Yeah, that's how we yeah, break and the mask. That's how we discover a she's
1: a
0: robot and not the real queen of. Uh, she's just a puppet. The real queen yeah,
1: is so, elsewhere. So know Noah, uh, are right? The queens have their fingerprints all over this world. And uh, I'll I'll give the audience um, at home, if you guys are still listening, you want to play a quick game? I'll give you a guess as to you have three seconds to guess who um, N is. All right, time's up. It's um, it's Noah. It's a it's a Mobius form of Noah and. Oh shit! Right, oh yeah, I know. Was that revealed there Yeah, it yes. No, it was not revealed. <laughs> it, there. Yes, it was. It was. Yes. Was it? Yeah, it was, because then because then, then M walks in. Oh, yeah, that's was right. Was it revealed right,
2: to right. us, the player, not the party? Because I thought it was revealed to the party. Yeah, in it was revealed the, to us,
0: not to the party. During the
2: prison break. Okay, well, It okay. was
0: never, like, revealed overtly, but, you know, you see the blue hair. You see, you know, Mobius M, which is an obvious another version of Mio.
1: Long hair. Uh, right. they have,
0: you know, the, the voices are similar, everything. So it's made very clear that, like, this looks like, they, they at least look like Dude, Noah, and Noah. Anyone with
1: a brain in their head knew that was Noah.
0: Okay, I'm just
1: just—I'm just <laughs> saying,
0: okay. I felt smart because I thought I figured it out early. <laughs> but yeah, so, yeah, these, the same ships that Gurnica were in, bust, fucking bust in, take the pods and get out. Uh, and then that gives our party time well, cause, to cause N well, does Because
1: N, N does the Darth Vader Rogue One thing, we're just blocking all the bullets and that gives us the time to mm-hmm. escape. So, all right. Right. I'll take lead, assuming my Wi-Fi can hold up, because for time purposes, we gotta speed this shit up. Um, <laughs> so naturally, we come to uh, chapter five, which is uh, this has the most juice in this story. And um, Ty, will you do me the honors of reading the notes I put for um, chapter five notable sequences?
0: Uh,
1: yeah. Quote,
0: who boy. End quote.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is all the
0: notes that you're gonna need to know, ladies and gentlemen, before you get into the fucking real me. Holy shit, this this chapter's infamous.
1: Yeah, so I'm just gonna like, write this. The, is... I'm sure oh, I'm sure to write what I have again because if we talk, if we did what we did for the pri- previous chapters, we'd be here till fucking who knows when. But yeah, chapter five is peak video game fiction, in my opinion. Like this is just unreal storytelling. Um, it 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 starts. So we get to the city. Um, we're going to jump ahead a bit. So we get to the city. Uh, Pat, the events of Kev's castle are long behind us. Now we get to the city. We get to Sword March where Gernica told us to go. And our party, for the first time ever, sees like how life is supposed to be lived, like how you and I live. Like we are born at a young age, we're raised by our parents, grown to be adults, get old, etc. Our party sees that for the first time, and that's the scene that got me choked up at first. Was when Mio puts her finger out in the baby's palm, and the baby grabs it, and that's the scene that like got me choked up at first. Like that's one of my favorite scenes in this game. I can't mm-hmm. like this chapter's So many good moments. That was the first of them. Which uh, quick thoughts on on that scene? Like that was a really touching moment. Uh, Eric, do you have anything to add on either of you?
2: I, I it's incredibly touching. Like you said, just kind of kind of seeing even even how excited lands was that the little baby like wanted to like grab his finger, and um. A little, just a kind, of, a little bit awkward too, because then like, uh, uh, oh, the best line in the I game. Think, <laughs> yeah, it's we, I've, the way it works is that uh, I believe her name is Monica. Yes. It kind of brings him in, and shows around the city, right? And I, it, it's revealed that Monica is is um, Gernika's daughter. And no one's, everyone's like, what's a daughter? What's a dad? Like, obviously, birth and, and parentage don't work the same way in this world for people that grew up in Kevis or Agnes. And uh, yeah, they, they take them to, like, the birthing room where, like, yeah, the, a, a woman just had, like, a fresh baby, to which, where, if, like, if I just had a baby, like, I wouldn't want a random... Group of freaking people in my in my birthroom, like get out and leave me alone, probably. But uh then everyone's like, "Oh, like how does this work?" And the doctor's like, "Hey, you guys ready to learn how babies are made?" And I'm like, "Oh no,
1: yeah. <laughs> like, yes, this please." Is the yep.
2: So and then we fade to yeah. black. Um, I was like, "No, no, please, like uh, let me hear in your own words <laughs> how this works." Yeah. Um, but no, it's it's uh despite how silly that part of the scene is, it's it's a very touching, very touching and powerful scene and just kind of the characters getting to see like what quote unquote normal life is in, in the city and how it's designed
0: how the city is just part of, part of the giant sword is, is really cool. Yeah. The, the city was sick as hell. Like, get, like reaching sword march. And it's like, the, it's like this whole land in the shade of the sword. Uh, and then you're, you know, you're picked up by, uh, you know, the, the humans, uh, who know who you are. They've been watching you, uh, and obviously Gurnica, you know, gave his life for you. So they, you know, they take you in, they give you these special eye patches to block out the Mobius is tracking you through your irises so that you can freely walk safely in the city. And the city is just so much so many times bigger than any colony you've been in. There's so many nooks and crannies to explore. Uh, so many more people to meet and yeah, just just seeing these characters that you've come to love so much but have no idea like of love and and parentage and you know, they've never seen a baby before. They're still trying to figure out how people live past ten years, seeing older people, just seeing people form these lasting bonds that create new life. It's really touching. It really it takes something that we take for granted pretty much in our in our human lives and makes it so special to these characters. And it was just it like Colby said, it was very it was very
1: heartwarming, very heart wrenching as well. Alright, so continuing on with the plot. I forget what the mission is when we get there. Uh, do either of you two remember what the exact mission was? Like, I know we have to go break Gondor out of prison, but, like, what's the bigger picture here? Yeah,
2: she- so it is revealed that, um, obviously, we know now that the queens of Agnes and Kevis are both not re- the real queens. Um, there are actually two real queens of, of these nations, and uh, the reason we have to go to the prison is because Gondor fi- has the key to go find the queen of Agnes and that was kind of our task was to, to get the key and go free the the real queen of Agnes. Okay.
1: So we go, to, so, we, so we have to go to the prison via a ship to free Gondor, who is Monica's daughter. Uh, in the process, mm-hmm. we get captured and thrown in the prison and we are in the prison for, I believe it is three days. So yeah, Tile, you have this in your notes, kind of like the low point of the chapter, but it's a great way of slowing the game down before like the absolute like chaos that's about to ensue, which takes place right now. Yeah. So um, the Lost Numbers, which is the group of humans led by um, Monica, they break into the prison. It's, a, it's your typical prison break from a movie. Like, everyone's just going nuts, crazy, like, running around. But as we are escaping, I think we're trying to escape via C, We are intercepted by N and just a bunch of, like, Levness and Mobius. And this is when it's revealed to the party that... Cause they they did the Final Fantasy VII thing. Noah's been having these headaches, and then N's standing in these flames, and I'm like, I, I know that like it's Leonardo DiCaprio I mean, <laughs> Like I've seen this before. Yeah, yeah. So it's revealed to the party that N is Noah and M is Mio as Mobius, and you f- and M like takes point and fights your party, which is un which is unnatural for her character as we come to know. But there's obviously a bigger meaning behind it banger theme ensues right now um it's just the mobius theme but the flute is absolutely shredding I'm much like that guy at the game awards shout out flute guy
0: Mobius' quirk is she can take over people's bodies. Uh, she can, you know, put her boring. consciousness in another person's body and control that body as if it were her own. But damage sustained to that body will still be damage to
1: her. There's a cool point in the fight where, in a cutscene, your party is fighting each other, and yeah. then Tyon again like figures it out, like he identifies who the who who's controlled with the Mondo, and you're able to beat Console M. Then you fight N, and his gimmick is he's strong as shit. So, yeah, <laughs> you fight N. You you can't beat him. You're ki- you're beating a cutscene. Uh, by the way, the way that we were ambushed
0: is because there was a traitor amongst the Lost Numbers. Uh, a girl named Shania, who has history with Gondor, who has sided with the Mobius. She is she's in favor of this world where people get a second chance at life, because uh, she she thinks like the. The natural way of things where people have one chance at life and then you're done is horrifying because, like, what if you make the wrong choices? What if you get dealt a bad hand? You know, that's unfair. So, that's her whole outlook. That's why she betrays the party. Uh, Yep, we already went through, we fought M, so we fight N. Uh, I fucking love the cutscene where we fight N after we, you know, do the boss battle with him because he's just fighting mm-hmm. you with the hilt of his fucking sword, not even the blade. He's using the hilt to block Ouroboros punches. And I'm like, this guy is beyond our level. Uh, and this is the point where we get uh, an emotional scene where Senna and Lanz uh, grab N uh, as their interlink is heating up and heating up. And as we know, when interlinks heat up, Annihilation events happen. The party seems to- sees no way to defeat N, so Lanz and Senna decide to do the self-sacrifice play. And they take... Uh, and, and jump into the sky and are like saying their goodbyes through their irises to the rest of the party. The you know Mio is begging them to come back, uh, and as they fly up, right before the annihilation events hits, they are separated forcefully by this uh, other Mobius called X, who wields Consul X, who who wields this staff that can seal away the Ouroboros powers. Apparently given to her by Zed, the leader of Mobius. So we have a death fake out for two of our party members uh, who fall back down to Earth. Our party is completely defeated. Everyone else is fucking gassed uh, and ends like, all right, time to fucking finish this. Uh, You know, puts (laughs) his hand on the sword. exactly like that, too. (laughs) And he's like, I just thought of the most wonderful little amusement. The true pain (laughs) begins. Oh, God, dude. Uh, the
1: longest cutscene in the history he, of video games takes place. The longest cutscene of the game. Here we go.
2: This was this was the specific cutscene I was referencing at the top of the episode when my wife was like, Hey, can you guys come help me with this? I'm like, and I just like started the prison escape and I was like, Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'll just need to get yeah. past like this cutscene part and I'll be done. And then, yes, once you start this sequence of events, there is not a stopping point until like maybe an hour later, six. if that.
0: <laughs> but this scene here is why this chapter is infamous devastation (laughs) the party is captured we fade to black we get the new title like the new establishing shot we're in the ag we're in agnes castle uh this castle floats above above a sea uh most of agnes's technology is like hover based so like joints aren't really connected together they're sort of like magnetized together but we are in a prison on the castle itself uh the prison that we infiltrated earlier was below the prison now we are or below the castle, we are now on a personal, like, royal prison. And our powers are sapped. Uh, even just our enhanced strength that we get as being Cavestian agnian soldiers is not present uh, because of the, c- the, the sealing power that X put on us. And, you know, we are trying to test the bars, talking to our party, nothing. Uh, and we keep... And, you know, then we start the cutscene, and Noah is, like, banging against the fucking uh, bars because Mio is in a different cell to everybody else. Uh, And Noah's like, we gotta get Mio out. Like, this is the first time we see Noah really lose his cool. Like, this is where I really started to be like, this character is actually really, really good, and there's a lot more layers than we think. Because, like this whole time Noah was like the paragon of idealism and like just keeping the party together. But now he's losing it. Now he's like, like Mio's in danger and he's starting to falter. Uh, he's
2: always been, he's always been grace under pressure. Yeah. And he's always been like, he said, super cool. Like we'll under like Russian danger. Like nothing has ever kind of phased him really. Um, but yeah, just to see him like striking the bars and destroying his hand like in this literal, just act of like hopelessness, like doing whatever he thinks he can, like willing to mutilate his own body, yeah, to to get to Mio is,
0: like crushing, is crushing, and and we're only just getting started, as as the day turns to dusk and the yellows of the sunset begin to fill the hallways of this Agnes prison, N shows up, uh, to talk to the party calls Noah a pussy. He's like, yeah, you're you're a fucking weakling. Eat shit. Uh, I'm you, but, but he basically reveals. He reveals to know. He's like, you want to know what the what the amusement I was talking about was? It's the homecoming. Uh, mm. Mm. One month from now, your friend is going to die. Why don't we make a big deal? Why don't we make it a big deal? Why don't we celebrate it at the castle? And, you know, obviously the whole party's pissed. Uh, and, you know, ends eating the shit up. He loves seeing the strife. He loves that they just... He loves the hopelessness look on their eyes, and he goes up to Noah, and he says, oh, there's one last thing I forgot to tell you. You're now aware of the cycle of rebirth, obviously, but there's a catch. Those whose flame is snuffed out during a homecoming don't return, and that's when the eyes go wide. That's when everybody stands up from the jail cell. That's
1: when my eyes went wide. Noah...
0: Noah, like, shakes his head and looks at the ground obviously with the weight of what he's realized and and just lets him sit on it he's like this is what it means to be truly powerless i hope you fucking fester in it and he and then he leaves and this starts Dude, like what what a like this, holy
2: shit in terms of villainous moments man like that's <laughs> i was i like there's a a cold like spell that went down my spine. Like I was like, that's some eve. That's that, that is evil. Like I've fought some dudes that have done some bad stuff, but that is just that's evil. <laughs> like it's not
0: even like a dramatic battle to the death. It's you're gonna sit in the cell, For the next powerless, next to your friend who's gonna die in a month's time, and you're just gonna sit there and watch it happen. It like that is that was crushing. You know, obviously they don't lose their hope yet. They're they're talking, they're like I'm not sure what to do. Was this for nothing? They passed the Um,
1: torch. I think someone says they passed the torch. Yeah,
0: Noah Noah says like it wasn't for nothing. We passed the torch on to Gondor and the people of the city. Let's only hope that they can do what we couldn't. But funny enough, Mio is pretty chill about all this. Yeah, Mio tells him tells him not to worry, you know. She's she's content. She says she'll live on in others. Just her, her calmness in the face of death really kind of struck a chord with me, and it was honestly really scary to like see someone go through that. when the montage starts uh, what would you remind me what the track name is again Colby uh, Step Away I think it's called A Step Away uh, as Ugh. There, you see a montage this is a vocal track and you see a montage of them in the prison every single day they're at those bars trying to get through they're trying different strategies they're trying to find weaknesses in the walls they throw Senna up to like the skylight to try and fucking pry it open but without her like enhanced strength nothing she can do and after every few moments the cutscene cuts to the moon in a different phase to signify another day going by we keep going we we see shania come by the cell to harass the fucking uh main characters just being an absolute well that's when she
1: reveals that she's gonna get sent off on on that day too so she can come back
0: yeah yeah if she wants to be reborn uh as a new version of herself, and she just wants to come and rub it in the face is that when she does that, her friend will, like, Mio will be gone from this world forever. Uh, Noah is continually losing the will to go on. He's just not eating the... F- He's not eating. He's just sitting up against the wall, just not able to do anything. You know, Mio says some words intermittently uh, to Senna, specifically, her longtime friend, you know, telling her that you know she was always you know hungry and striving for more uh, because she was really hard on herself but that she has she, she has touched the lives of so many people even the time she's known her and Santa just breaks down crying like hearing that from her friend her best friend in the whole world now seemingly a world away from right but is technically right next to her and then there's a point where everyone's just sitting like they stop trying to go at the bars because it's just breaking their bodies trying to do it. And then we get the real uh, gut punch, which is Noah and Neo's conversation, where Noah is initially talking to himself, right? He says, can an offseer really reach people? I thought my, I thought our lives were like our music, always in our hands, always in control. I wasn't accepting the truth. Even if I could reach people and you know send them off, can't really save them it's unbearable seeing life slip away from you even though it's right there and you know he starts like he can't hold it in like the revelation of everything that's been going on and every everything about his role in this world is a lie and then Mio speaks up and talks about how there's no moon outside right now which I believe she has some moon related moves in her uh in her interlink if I'm not mistaken So I thought that was an interesting link. But she talks about how the moon's not out, but the starlight is so warm. And they're not allowed to say it hasn't been for anything. hasn't been for nothing. Because her life at least has been enriched by Noah. And it is at this point that she calls Noah by his name, Noah. Which apparently was the first time in the entire game that she has ever done that. She's ever said Noah's name. it, It lines up. Which, mm. like, you don't even realize it. Like, it's not even—it's not mentioned at all until this point. But it's obviously something that, like, Noah was thinking about. Because he's the one who brings it up. It's like, you finally called me by my name. And Mio says that she's sorry. She didn't do it because she thought that if she did, she'd be admitting the truth. And it'd be too painful to bear. So she because... does night before she
1: dies. So, yeah, it's just...
0: Yeah. But I, mean, I was about to say now at the end, like, now that it's out there, she says... If my life were to go on, she says when they first met, Noah asked her if she wanted to live. And she said that she didn't mind either way. Now she says she's going to correct that. She says that she wants to live and learn for a long time to come. Even at the, even at the end of death, she's able to to be honest and say, I don't want this to be the end. If I If this path were to keep on going, this road I've walked were to keep on going, I'd want to spend it with my Noah. And that fucking, that is when the tears started flowing for me.
1: I don't even want to like do the and show anymore. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, so. I'm, I'm actually done. Heartbreak. Dude, I'm good. Like, let's so just wrap it up. And the credit and the credits roll. and That's how the game ends. Just God, what an amazing monologue. Oh, and dude, you think the tears are rolling now? Just play for play the game for yeah, fifteen more is- minutes.
0: I was about to was, say this isn't even the end, but like you see everybody like tie Ty- like even Tyon, he? the calm and collected Tyon starts like pounding the ground out of frustration.
1: Unis lost and it. Like, everyone's crying. just
0: Unis lost it. Land even lands. lands doesn't cry, but he he's just like, he like fuck the pain. Dude. He just closes his eyes. He tries to be the one that stays strong.
1: He's trying to be he if the whole time he's trying to be there for his buddy, but like like it's just like good fucking god. Like if, if a video game made me feel that like good, good, yeah like it really. But hammers home the feeling of, of loss. Yeah, Eric, you were gonna say something. Go for it.
2: No, I was just to say it was at this point too. Like I was a hundred percent. Like going into this chapter, I was like, Nah, man. I'm like, They can't. Like it's we're in. It's five, six chapters now. Like they can't kill Mio. They can't do it. I'm like, Yeah. But then by the end of this, when she says that, like wants to spend it with Minoa, I was like, They're a hundred percent pulling off the era thing from thirty years ago, and they're doing it again. Oh, dude, right I, in front I thought she was gonna die too. A hundred percent. Dude, I, I was a hundred percent convinced that I was. I was like, super
0: convinced, yeah. I knew they
2: were yeah, going for I, it. I it it sold me. It sold me. I was like I'm like, she's about to like join Aerith in the afterlife, like by yeah. like, like as as a character that I spent hours with and is now just gone. Uh but obviously, you know. Yeah, go, yeah, but go just, ahead and finish up. But, but yeah. just to
0: I'm just to, I'm go
2: for it, go for it. Even you, like, look at that. <laughs> like, yeah, care. yeah. Like, I teared up even you describing it. Like, that's how emotional the scene was. Like, it's... So dude, good. It's, it's
0: rough. <laughs> but, like, I'm a, I'm a sucker for, like, romance in games. I think oh, I've, I've talked about this. I want to sound good, I was about to say they, the the relationship was like it's such a slow burn, but it hasn't even really been it.
1: romantic. There's that one part in chapter four where they have that nice conversation because Mio's like, I don't have a lot of time left. Then they kind of trade, then they trade the flutes, which is a really nice moment. Yeah, but, they trade the flutes. God, right. like you just even just you're not even, we're not even at the fucking heartbreaking part yet, and you just talking through <laughs> it just made me want to sit here and like just die. Uh, what can I say? I'm I'm a DM. I'm sorry. Now it's just what I do. Uh, but
0: yeah, just. This, the feelings that these two have for each other come out in this moment, and it's such a beautiful scene.
1: So the sun rises on the next. So the day. sun rises
0: on the next and day. It's Mio's the day of birthday. The execution. Oh, I didn't even realize. <laughs> You're totally right. It totally is.
1: Uh, Happy tenth sun Earth rises. Mio.
0: And as opposed to the first time we saw a homecoming, which was viewed as this, I must say, yeah, this, this is a lot more like an execution. This beautiful moment. They are brought out in cuffs and put on their knee. This is an execution. Like, they are going to watch their friend get executed. And the queen of Agnes, or the fake queen as we know now, uh, Nia, her name is, uh, speaks to the crowd of onlooking Agnians who are... to, to To these Agnian soldiers, this is the execution of traitors. You know, this is the... This is the capturing of Ouroboros. The world is at peace. But to our characters, this is their lowest moment. And they sort of of talk to each other while they're in bondage. Like, are they going to kill us after this happens? Probably. But they sort of come to terms with it. Like, we passed the torch. It's up to them now. We'll be back. We've done all we can. I was about to say, we'll be back in the cycle. It'll be all this shit all over again. And then Mio is brought out. As the flutes begin to rise of the the Agnian offseers... Uh, and she is brought out, and I believe Riku says something to Noah, like, you haven't tried to, I fucking hate it, I w- if there's one thing I could change about this scene, take that Riku line out of the game. Draw the
4: sword, bitch!
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, draw the sword, it's like, that has not been established as a thing that he can as do. As Noah's, Noah's crying
1: with handcuffs on, watching his, the love of his life about to get executed, he's like, dude, draw the sword. Like what are you talking about? Yeah, it's about, like
0: how you can't even summon your blade. And it's in the fucking blade. They had to have, I have a blade. bad note. They had to have
1: a bad no-palm moment. It's a Xenoblade game.
0: Yeah, but it was like I, I've seen. It's like the little sliver of hope. Like oh shit, maybe we can get out of this. Maybe that's something that's good, maybe that's something they that can get out of this. But they bring Mio up and then
2: I just wanted to turn to Riku to be like, why don't you tell me how? Yeah, to Yeah, why, to why you don't you tell,
4: tell me that before, before
0: man? Work. But, he
2: seemed to know where'd get this mysterious sword from. Exactly,
0: but. You know, Mio is brought up, dropped to her knees, and, you know, fucking Noah gets up and screams like Mio and runs, but he is tackled by the guards and he's face down looking up and just pleading out for something to happen. And then, and in a fucking badass shot, by the way, just sunlit in the eclipse uh, that is happening during this homecoming. He stands above Noah and you, you know, you cut to Noah's pain to face with, like, the bags under his eyes, and you hear the clitter-clatter of something driving you to the ground, and you pan back, and it's Noah's flute that N has dropped in front of him, his off seeing flute, to which N says for him to pick it up and send Mio off. Basically telling Noah to be the one to to put the nail in Mio's coffin, which is holy fucking shit, what a villain. Like, what a fucking villain for this game. The rest of the Mobius are questionable, like, their quality as a villain. N hits home every time every, like Im- I fucking hated that dude and that's exactly what he was meant to do but it is interesting because he, I obviously he assumed the Kevesi flute was Noah's but he obviously didn't know that like it was actually Mio's flute that is kind of Noah's now so that shows that N's whole mindset is sort of flawed but Noah goes over and puts his hand on the flute and picks it up uh, and he and he looks at it and he looks up, and it's it's such an amazing shot because it pans past Noah and you see the golden particles rise before you see Mio's body enveloped in that light. Uh, and Noah can't take it. In a horrified gasp, he he drops the flute. He he could never do that. And Mio looks back at him as the music swells and says, "It's been fun." Noah. Yeah, I
1: don't want to do this anymore. Let's just wrap it up. <laughs> and I'm good. Noah and Mio f- falls forward,
0: and before she even hits the ground, it it's it's particles, it's dust rising into the sky.
1: At that moment, I thought it Noah, was, she was a
0: hundred percent gone. And we we pan panda to Sena. Tyon can't even look. Tyon doesn't, doesn't allow work. himself to look. And Sena, seeing her best friend in front of her, is just heartbroken. Obviously, it lands in Senna, lands in Uni look to Noah in this moment as he screams out Mio one last time. And then and uh, takes his own version of Lucky 7 out of his sheath, raises the sword, and brings it down. And then we cut to black. And instead of Mio's notebook on the end of chapter screen, it's just her flute with no narration. Jesus. Ugh. And that ends chapter 5 of Xenoblade Chronicles 3.
1: <laughs> there was still so much video game left after this. I was just like, oh my god, what the hell? Like, are you I fucking
0: was... kidding me? I was, I was devastated.
1: devastated? We, we gotta keep playing? Uh, we...
0: <laughs> I mean, we're we're already over time. We have to keep doing the podcast, too. No, but... we don't. Like... <laughs> yes, we do. We're gonna finish it. But holy shit, guys. I mean anything else on
1: 5 I think everything just speaks for itself honestly it's it's just so right? like, like uh, even you can listen to us talk about it and still cry when you're actually playing it like it's that good
2: seriously yeah and i think your point about and as a villain here is is well made because uh how just awful he acts here and how just much he gloats and just is going to take away the most valuable thing that that Noah holds in his heart, which is which he like you said, he realized during the scene, is is Mio, um, makes the upcoming information uh, like all the more. Yeah, yeah. This game is filled with like the main cast of characters is is fantastic. Uh, the the things that happen to N, which we're about to reveal, and why he made the decisions he did uh is my absolute favorite part of this game and we'll we'll touch on that in just a second <laughs> yeah
0: so uh if you want i can continue the the main story stuff yeah probably. the second i start reading the notes uh, the
1: wi-fi is in a bug out so i was about to say the second the yeah, second Tyler, you start reading it that's only point.
0: when the wi-fi goes out but I'll, I'll try to be quick since obviously you know eric is a married man and has to has other
2: responsibilities. <laughs> being, being, you're a, you're a great storyteller. So thank you. being, a pays
1: off, dude. I'm sure when you two hop off, I'm gonna <laughs> fire up my own recording.
0: <laughs> there you go, buddy. Do it. There you go. But yeah, so chapter six begins. Uh, in the void, in this mist-like void, you are playing as Noah. Uh, and he, in this chapter, as you walk this void of nothingness, you run into memories. Of seemingly a past of Noah's past lives, uh, and it's you see Noah as a member of the Lost Numbers. Uh, you see him as a as another member of another Ouroboros group, made entirely of humans.
1: There's one common denominator see, with both of those.
0: Yeah, you and there's one common denominator behind all of these images, and it's that Mio is there with him. Mio is right there with him, fighting against Mobius. And losing handedly Um, every time. (laughs) Losing, uh, confronting Zed directly, even at one point, and still losing. But seemingly being reincarnated every single time. This isn't a one-time thing. This Noah that we see has been through multiple lives of fighting Mobius. And more importantly, losing Mio every single time. And, you know, they, we see these two talk. We see these feelings that they have for each other. Their fight against Mobius is weighing on them. Mio always still has limited time to live in each one of these visions that we see. And eventually, we see a, a different, sort of a different timeline. Mio and Noah have a child. We see them talking. Noah already has the sword that he has as N. We realize at this point, these are flashbacks of N. This is ends past. Uh, and we see that Noah and Mio are talking about their, their child that was just born and trying to, and, you know, naming it and all that normal stuff. And then in the very next scene, we see on that very same bed that Mio gave birth to their son, she is now dying. She's come to the end of her lifespan, just like she has in our own, in the plot of this game. And Noah holds her with his now toddler son sitting in his lap as she fades away from them both and in the very next scene it seems that Noah also doesn't have that much longer to live he, he probably raised the son after Mio but he is heartbroken uh, and he takes his son out to the woods and he I don't know I, th- I don't know You're why your father definitely- die and be
1: alone in these woods kid Find your way back home,
0: son. I don't. I, it probably <laughs> wasn't. It's, I don't think this was a remote location. It was probably like outside of their home, you know, probably outside of the city. But he gets down on his knee and puts his hands on his son's soldier shoulders. The, a son that we don't know the name of, uh, and he says that, you know, the love that your mom and dad had for you is, that your mom and dad had for you is is real. Uh, surround yourself with friends that's what mom and that's what mom and dad did and then there was more to that i can't remember the exact dialogue right now but he he takes his son to his arms and, and just weeps openly still with the sword that n has when we meet him on his hip and i forget what his last words to his son were before fading away
1: i'm you but better
0: uh, I don't think it was that, but I, it was something along the lines of, like we will always love you. Uh, before he fades away, and the sword drops in front of the sun. But that timeline ends. That sun doesn't really get to do any, get to grow up because, and is reincarnated. And this time, he is sitting in the amphitheater that we have seen all of the Mobius converse in, and sitting next to him is Zed. And Zed gives him a choice. Continue to be reincarnated over and over again. Lose the one you hold most dear to you in front of your eyes every single time. Never get to raise a family. Never get to be normal. Or live in the endless now. Be immortal. Become Mobius. Never allow things to change. Keep the world stuck in this cycle, and you can be with the one that you love most forever. And end... An impossible choice, but N chooses the latter. But there is a catch. Zed orders now N to murder the inhabitants of the city, uh, the human settlement. Not the same city that we see today, Uh, a previous version that was on the surface, not in the Great Sword. And that gives immortality to both N and Mio.
1: It also gave Mio... It also caked Mio up, if I must say.
0: Indeed. With with hair, obviously. Much longer hair, that's all it did. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Mio sorry. is horrified, of course. No. Uh, Mio, now M, uh, the Mobius version, uh, is horrified at this, obviously. But what's done is done. And now they are both immortal and living in the endless now. And then... I believe it's young, it's like a hooded young Noah. I believe that's the voice that this is. He he asks Noah, you know, will you make the same choice as your predecessor, basically? And we know that this is our Noah because the bruises on his knuckles from fighting so hard to get to Mio are still there. And Noah says that he wouldn't. If this world is meant to put people in this position in the first place, endless strife, endless struggle, he wants nothing more than to end it, to break this cycle. And that's what he chooses. He, he, and the younger self is even if you were left alone, even if, if you were without the person you love most, you would do this for the sake of the world. And Noah says yes. And then the hand changes to that of Mio's. And the body also changes. And Mio asks in this fog-like space if he would still walk with her. And then we are taken out of this fog-like space, back to the execution, inches away before N does the final blow. He stops because you see the effect of M's power, of her taking over Noah's body. And obviously N does not want to hurt M. Uh, so he stops because M knew he would stop if she was the one in Noah's body and we cut to M who kneels down next to the clothes and the belongings that Mio left behind and picks up the flute and walks down the steps to Noah picks up his flute kneels down and extends Mio's flute to him and she says sorry oh well he's gone uh, and he says, sorry, my my hair has gotten kind of long. Will you still walk with me? And it is at this point that we realize that this isn't M anymore. This is our mio How? What? That's impossible. And that's what, exactly what N starts thinking as he starts backing up. Like, no, that's impossible. And the implication, it's not really set out straight, but through a lot of like flashbacks and implications from N, uh, it's like, no, you M switched bodies with Mio. So the real one who died was M and Mio mm-hmm. now inherits the Mobius body. Uh, the M, the, the Mio that N had spent so long trying to protect, had sacrificed everything for to remain with forever. And she's gone. And he goes fucking ballistic. He, the best voice, just, this is what Harry McIntyre, like, this is what puts him as, like, nomination for best performance. He loses it with N, and it is just, it's honestly a very cathartic scene because N was such a fucking asshole. It's great to see, Mm -hmm. it feels so cathartic to see him on the back foot, finally. Uh, And Mio explains that M was tired. You know, she didn't want forever. You know, that's not what she wanted. She just wanted to... She knew that she would die. But she just wanted to live out those days as happy as she could with her Noah. Mm -hmm. Just as best as you can. Doesn't need to be forever. So, Em was tired. And she thought that if she died, maybe Em would finally see where he was coming from. And Em also just couldn't live with the fact of, like, what Mobius was doing. What she herself had done. Even though she was unwittingly put in this position, she still did some bad things. So she calls the six party members her repentance, changes bodies back in that original fight. So for the entire time from that original fight onward, uh, Mio was actually M, and M was actually Mio. So, you know, that, that puts the whole prison scene into a whole new context based on what you know m and mio's body was saying all of it truthful but all of it now has a double meaning so then we have a fight with n N goes crazy Mio only belongs to me no one else i'll take you back noah my long shadow he calls him which is so fucking sick Mm uh and then they fight they beat n uh they were the mobius retreat we have some stuff with like a there's an annihilator at agnes castle that's a about to take out the city, but the city was moved because it's actually a giant fucking Varanus. Uh, all that stuff. Welcome back, Colby. Is your audacity still recording? Yeah. Thank God. Let's keep going. <laughs> so I- I'm at the point where where N uh, is defeated. Uh, the Annihilator at Agnes is destroyed. Uh, the city is saved uh, and Shania p- offs ops herself, which is kind of a really dark-ass scene that I was not expecting it's from this game. very dark scene, yeah. Uh, but... She, you know, she's going to be reborn, so she does it anyway. She, you know, her her ideals don't let her realize like wh- how why people want the life that they want, where they only have one shot, and you know that sort of ends Shania's arc. Uh, sort of Shania and Sena have that sort of arc, and that sort of ends it there. Mio Mio is now half Mobius, half Ouroboros, and she has all of M's original memories. So she reveals some exposition. Uh, N and M are manifestations of guilt, basically. Uh, and the, our current N, our current Noah and Mio, are basically the results of the universe. Because there's, there's always a Noah and there's always a Mio. It's sort of like Zelda, Ganondorf, uh, Link sort of situation. There's always one of them. So with N and M ever going straight so far off the path, the universe basically created our normal Noah and Mio as the repentance, the repentance of those original two who had become Mobius, to bring balance to the world. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll exposition through a few more of this, because we're getting long now. Uh, Mio goes back to, Mia goes to Original Colony to save uh, her old friend Miyabi, who taught her how to be an off-seer, and sacrificed herself to save her a long time ago. Uh, you free Kamaravi, who was revived, as well as Mwamba, who was a uh, a friend of the Cavesi crew back in the Slenderman day. Slenderman
1: with a rifle, uh, if you remember from two hours ago.
0: Yeah, if you remember that from two and a half <laughs> hours ago. Uh, but they eventually reach the cloud keep with Gondor's key that we talked about earlier and find the real queen of uh Agnes, uh, Nia from Ze- the same Nia from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Uh there's a whole thing with like f- there's a whole thing with fighting D and J, like Yorin does a self sacrifice, all that stuff uh well no,
1: he basically the Nia like half opens her left eye and then is immediately shot by D and J like through the
2: chest again another shocking scene that I didn't see coming at all I was like uh like literally I was not even allowed to enjoy for four seconds that I like I know rescued. her and, and and the joy my personal joy of seeing a character that I really love from Xenoblade Chronicles. So I'm like it's Nia and then she gets just fucking <laughs> shot like right away I was like
4: what oh no. <laughs> yeah
2: Incredible.
0: So luckily <laughs> she's technically a blade so like as long as her core crystal wasn't destroyed True. she would have been fine so yeah luckily she is fine we beat dnj yoren and the rest of the crew have sort of a a heart-to-heart they finally get through to yoren about how his ideological, i how his idealism is flawed uh yoren sort of comes to his senses you know it, it's a it's a whole theme about like People who are naturally more gifted at things like how could a bird feel the pain of a worm? You know, that's sort of his whole that that that's his words. Uh, he uses that sort of terminology. Seriously, he, he talks very high and mighty about that. But he just wanted to be someone of importance, you know but every single life that he lived.
1: Oh, he had like, he, the, was, he had like the most comical deaths. Like he got run over by like a Faranis in one
0: of them. Um, yeah, he got just, run over by his own like
1: levness. Like it was, he, he's like, yeah, uh, just, uh, I don't know. I didn't feel anything when he died. I was kind of glad he was out of the picture. Yeah, yeah it, was,
0: it, wasn't mo- it wasn't the, it wasn't the best. Earlier. Yeah, it wasn't the best executed story B, but sort of lands and it sort of gives closure to the Cavessi quartet arc. I would say, uh, But yeah, let's
1: take a step back. Let's wrap this shit up.
0: (laughs) So, we need to talk about big picture stuff, which is what Nia does. This is, we're going to talk about how Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is a sequel. So, there were two worlds. The world of Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and the world of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. These worlds were split apart in an experiment. They used to be one, and now they are two, but they are now they are constantly being drawn back together. This world that we play in is paused in the moment that the two connect. Nia says that if the two worlds were to come back together, they would annihilate each other, you know, matter, antimatter scenario. So there was a plan because. Nia from Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and Melia from Xenoblade Chronicles 1 were able to communicate across dimensions with each other through this medium called light, which isn't explained too much. But basically they're able to do like interdimensional Skype calls with each other. And, and some real they probably, better, yeah. they
1: probably have better Wi-Fi than I do.
0: And their plan, <laughs> so their plan is a project called Origin. So there's an origin half in One universe, and an origin half in the other universe. This is basically a giant, mechanical, computerized arc that is going to store all of the information, everyone's lives and souls inside, so that when the worlds collide and destroy each other, the two halves of origin will connect with all the stored consciousness and lives and cultures of everyone who ever lived on those two worlds and it will create a new it will create those two new worlds again it will like basically reset them so that they weren't destroyed that is the plan but everyone's collective fear over whether or not origin would work and their desire for them to just stay in the now and not go towards the future of uncertainty manifested into what we call Mobius. They are these beings that are concepts. They are concepts that embody that fear of moving forward, that want of the endless now, and that is what we're in. They stop time at the moment the two connect, which, you know, sort of semi-fuses the worlds, which is why there's so many aspects of Xenoblade 1 and Xenoblade 2 in this new world, but we're in the endless now. Time is stopped from moving forward. The two worlds are at the cusp of colliding but they're not and in an attempt to preserve the endless now the mobius have instituted this cycle of killing and rebirth so that no progress is ever made no future is ever found and they have taken over origin itself so mobius control the world mobius are the world it's literally the fabric upon which we, the, the characters live, and everyone has a little bit of Mobius inside of them, that fear of moving on. And that is sort of what we're at. So now with the Queen's help, the characters have to go to Origin, which the location has now been revealed to them since the Queen knows it because she helped build it. Uh, that is where the Queen of Kevis is being held, and that is also where Zed resides. That's where the amphitheater is. That's where all the Mobius—that's their home base— so we got to go there, put a stop to that, and then the worlds will be able to be remade again.
1: That's a, that's a great summary of what we've been after this whole time.
0: Yeah, that's the final story. That is why everything has been how it is. That's why Ourobor- Ouroboros were made to fight Mobius. Like, that is the origins of Ouroboros. Shulk might have been one of the first Ouroboros. Uh, Same with Rex. Or at least the Shulk that would have been in this world. Uh, Because we see sort of a statue resembling him. And Rex probably as well. But that is the final arc. So we go back to the city. We assemble a ship. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, We assemble a ship to get to Origin. And we're able to uh, get in. And this is where I was like, it's like like midnight, right? (laughs) And I get into Origin. Like, we're at the end of the game. You know, I'll I'll finish this out real quick tonight Nine hour and I'll be done. <laughs> it took me three more hours. That origin dungeon is insane. Yeah, it's origin not fun
1: slogged. It's not fun.
0: But as they're making their way through, Kevis and Agnes, all the freed colonies, come together to mount an assault on Origin to help the heroes, and it is such a fucking sick scene. We see it through the eyes of Boreal is it Borealis, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right.
1: Borealis. Oh. Boliaris, something like that. Boliaris. Yeah, the, that's it. the um, uh, interim s- commander of Colony 4.
0: Yeah, he's, he's Ethel's second in command after Ethel died, and we see all of the colonies working together. And then it is revealed that the Agnes and Kevis castles are themselves Pharanuses, so they transform <laughs> into these giant Pacific Rim mechs and just start beating the shit out of Origin.
2: If we're going, like, 60 down the highway, we're at a solid, like, 120 now. Like, the speed just, it, it amps up so hard in this last chapter, it's insane. Yeah, <laughs> but
0: we fight, we fight Mobius X within Origin, we fight Mobius Y within Origin, and then finally, we
1: come face-to-face with Zed. Zed's been watching, like, the Irishman this whole time.
0: Yeah, he's been yeah, watching, right. like, everything that we've been doing this whole time. And the Zed, and then, you know, we confront Zed, we tell him, no, we're, we're done with your world, you know? Like why, and I think he says he's doing that because it amuses him. Like, Zed's whole motivation... Like, he is a concept. He doesn't have deep-rooted motivations. He's doing this because, you know, he wants to. This is... Right. He is literally made up of that fear. That is all he is. That's all he knows. So, despite putting on this, you know, persona of refinement and being in control of everything, he's scared. He is fear, but also fearful. And so the battle... be. The battle begins on the stage of the amphitheater. All of our powers are sealed. That shit was hard as fuck. Holy shit! Be over for this fight. You're gonna need it. O- never switch off your healers. Always be on your healers so you can heal as soon as you possible. And oh like, my god! You can't do shit. But as this slog, you, you just need to persevere, right? You need. It, it sort of fits with the theme. Like no, plant yourself like a tree. Never do, but not like we're
1: on agreement. Like th- this fight's not fun to play, right? It's just it's it's no, it's, it's not too fun. long for,
0: for the for the player. It is not fun.
2: I understand narratively why it takes
0: place, though. Yeah, of course, like, it makes sense.
2: But it's it's a long ass fight.
0: But then slow, <laughs> but then like slowly over time, your party gains their powers back. They Zed tries to intimidate them with images of their past trauma, every all the hardships they faced, all that the people they've cool. lost. But. They they defiantly stand and say no I'm I'm not that person anymore. Traveling with these people having these experiences has changed me and I think differently now and I am I different. And then they can interlink and do a chain attack. Uh, and eventually, when you beat this physical form of Zed, who is literally Sephiroth, like he just he's literally Sephiroth in a red suit, uh, it transitions to this trippy in between space where Mobius it's just this giant amorphous face of Zed that shifts between every party's faces because every single person, including the party, have some Mobius in them. So now it's like this phase two of the fight where uh, all your heroes that you have recruited throughout the game uh, begin to come in and assist you, right? So while the it's just this giant siege, everything's coming to a head, all the colonies are attacking, all your heroes are coming to assist you, uh, and it's just... Slamming everything you have against the F- Mobius until finally, uh, you put them in their place. You finally bring them down, and you're in this strange between space. M- Mobius—it's not even Zed anymore. It's just the concept of Mobius—is trying to take the trying to do one last unleash of power, uh, and the souls of N and M. Uh, I forgot to mention before. While we were in Origin, we freed the Kuvshin Queen, and we fought N again, and uh, we sort of got through to N a little bit, because Mio tells N like Mio didn't like M didn't want forever. She wanted you to go by Noah again. She wanted to be called Mio again. She just wanted to be with you for as long as she had. And you know, after you beat his ass. Uh, he eventually sort of comes to realize, and him and Noah sort of fuse, so Noah becomes half Mobius, half Ouroboros as well. So N sort of realizes that he is not needed anymore, and he gives he entrusts it all to so Noah. Does every
1: Noah. main character in a Nintendo JRPG have to fuse? I mean, it just makes it cooler, right? <laughs> like, I guess. <laughs> in every
0: example we've had so far.
1: like Even Link does it now, when he got the like, champion's abilities, You're like...
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, it, that's true, that's true. But, uh, also I forgot to mention, Melia and Nia also join the fight, and Nia has fucking Pyra and Mithra's blades. Mm-hmm. Like, what? How? Mm-hmm. I don't even know. It's not revealed. I don't even know. It just makes me fanboy out. Uh, but, yeah, so... P- N and M, their sort of souls come out of the two bodies of Noah and... Mio, and they say no one person can beat a desire what you see over there that's not zed or mobius or that's not a person or anything that's a desire and you guys can't really put that away forever but us we are made up of that same desire you know like we were born from that so we can cancel it out and noah asks them to stay they're like no we can figure out a way to deal with mobius which obviously, I saw a lot of reactors saying like, "Noah, that's not how it works," and it's like, "Yes, but I feel like that's part of his character. Like, even though he knows it's not going to work, he's still going to try to preserve that life, you know." And even Mio is like, you know, says that you could finally be together, and they're like, "We we've had our chance. You can take our place in the future that you make. We we entrust that to you." But this is our repentance, this final act, and they sort of combine together as this sort of like soul energy. And collide into Mobius and wipe it from the world. And that act restarts Origin. We cut to a scene of all our characters reflecting on everything that's happened, everything they've learned, with the two worlds, the two planets in the sky, right next to each other. Again. Well,
1: Eric, we Eric, we I'll, I'll I'll pass the mic to you. We, we get a happy ending, right? Because we beat the bad guy.
2: No, it is it is what not are you a talking happy ending. About? Like like tyler no like like tyler alluded to in in the story where he was telling um the purpose of origin uh like you said these these two worlds uniting together being drawn back towards each other are going to inevitably destroy them that is that, that that's an unavoidable fact so the best thing that uh that they can think to do is create this origin machine to basically like re- it's like you said it's basically a computerized arc to restart these worlds after they have been annihilated and um at at this point this crux where we see the two worlds in the sky uh this moment frozen in time this endless now uh that they they basically have a a couple of choices that things they can do it's they can maintain the endless now and just maintain the cycle is kind of how things go um or they can restart the worlds but as we know from Xenoblade 1 and Xenoblade 2, these are two separate distinct worlds. So the fact, and they, they come to realize that the fact that restarting the worlds like this will mean that people that are from Agnes, and people that are from Kevis, will be separated from one another. Uh, so ultimately, to do the right thing and to give everybody the freedom that they deserve and, and the right to live life the way they want to, um, the sacrifice is not only does the party have to be split up, but um, Noah and Mio would not be able to be together and that is the decision they make is to give everybody the life in the world and the the chance to pursue their own happiness as they deserve uh and and the last scene we kind of have is um as the as they make this decision and the origin machine turns on and turns from that mobius red to the blue the world starts to split apart from one another and noah and Mio try to run towards each other uh just to no avail no matter how fast they run no matter how hard they run they, they can't they can't get to each other we do get a very touching scene. I believe they do share a kiss before they the do. world split, Indeed. though, which we finally got the path. We're like, yes, finally it happened. We've been rooting for these two like the whole game. Like we got, the, They got finally got a chance to, to share a kiss, and then um, they're split apart from each other. And uh, that is pretty much how the game concludes. We come full circle, like you said, that first scene in the very beginning of Chapter 1 of the main gang as kids in this city looking up. Uh, you know with the clock tower um, that is that is the ending scene of the game whereas now everyone is in these new remade worlds and has a chance to to live life the way they want to and of course as is happening we get some fan servicey shots where uh, we see you see um, Melia the wall opens up and she has the Monado on you know in the wall and um, you know Nia Poppy comes out of of the wall there and, and and there's the picture of rex with Pyramithra and nia all with children inferring that like rex had a threesome and had all these kids maybe uh, a foursome, i don't know actually um, yeah oh yeah foursome yeah yeah so um giga chad rex over here just you know doing what he's got to do uh and yeah we kind of get that scene where it's like oh yeah the worlds are separate but our, the, the final scene that we see is, is a kid noah walking away and he hears the the offseer tune the flute being played in the distance Uh, seemingly that he still has like some of those memories from Ionis deep inside him uh, that maybe he'll remember or set up for a DLC reunion with with Mio we'll have to see but uh, yeah as it stands now as the game ends uh, our heroes our lovers are are, are separated in the worlds that they belong in making the ultimate sacrifice making the unselfish sacrifice to not repeat the mistakes that N and M made or that even Zed made to to basically free these worlds and give everybody a fresh start, a second chance.
0: The track that plays it. during that scene where where we belong is one of the greatest pieces of video game music I think I've heard. It's, it. it's so good. I see party we, we see the we see the pairs right we see lands and senna talking about how they're they won't be working out anymore together but they'll train in their own worlds every day thinking of them i know like yeah i didn't sad. understand really what origin was gonna do until this scene started happening and it really did break mm-hmm. me we see uni and Tyon, on giving her an herbal tea recipe because when she was having nervous breakdowns about you know the fact that she might be another version of herself like there's this passage she doesn't know she was shaking tyon admits that he has that as well like he he understands the feeling and that herbal tea helps him so he you know made some tea for her and now in this ending scene he gives her a an an herbal tea recipe on a book and yuni asks why he's giving this to her because obviously the if if the worlds are going to split apart this book won't last but he says I made this book through paper and leather and ink, and including all the ingredients, they are all from your world. So hopefully, it'll Unfortunately,
1: stay. I don't think it amounts to much because they all get reincarnated.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how. I mean, again, Tyon is a logical guy. This was his best idea. And he was going, even if it wasn't going to work, he was going to try because for Yuni, he would try. And then obviously we get Noah and Mio saying that no matter where they would be, even if their worlds apart, they would never let go. That their feelings would always be interlinked no matter where they are. And then they kiss with the setting sun, and we get some ending monologues from Melia and Nia. Uh, as Eric said, that is where the uh, fan service comes, and that's like, the on- that's like the only super like in-your-face fan service that I get. and It's like right, at the right. End of the game uh and then you see it's at the it's where their hands are touching you see the moment origin activates and you see this pulse that pushes them away and you see like the two worlds splitting sort of like holographically like almost layered on top of each other these worlds are going back and these three cared these six characters this this family they know this is the only way i
3: see you peacefully.
0: they still try, they can't, they can't help being apart anymore. And they, they try to run towards each other. That, that scene, as soon as they started running, the tears started running. Like immediately, I was just openly sobbing because it was such a beautiful and heartbreaking moment that just hit so close to home. Like I, I put myself in the character's shoes. I was so immersed in their story. I felt like I was there. Like it was that powerful of a scene uh, I'm sure you guys you know, felt similar feelings as we've talked about in the Takahashi Fan Club Discord server uh, but <laughs> yeah it's a bittersweet ending but that flute at the end implies that even in the song lyrics right this goodbye is not the end it mm-hmm. says I know I'll we'll meet again this, so in that <laughs> in that flute and what's interesting is that If you look closely, you would not be able to see this on a first watch, but as the doves fly by, as as we're zooming out... I saw this in the video. As the doves fly by, when the doves pass by where Noah is, like in the foreground, Noah disappears. So it's thought that he may have interlinked with Mio, like across dimensions, at that moment. So... Even though it is a bittersweet ending, <laughs> even though it's bittersweet, even though they're separated for a time, such is the nature of their two worlds, they will find each other again. I think that's the message that the game wants to end
1: on. And that's the short story of Xenoblade Chronicles 3.
0: That's the, yeah, that's the spark notes, yeah.
1: <laughs> if you don't want to actually play
0: We haven't even gone into hero quests or Do side we need quests to? Yeah, or anything, guys. This
2: could, this could be like a multi-part, multi-hour thing, honestly. I mean,
1: like, Go I... Ahead. I don't even really want to. I feel like we can just put a bow on it here. Like, I the combat's just, you know, it's it's like you know, combat for the most part. Like, talk about combat's- combat.
0: Uh, also, Nia, Nia might be Mio's mom. That's another thing. That- yeah, we yeah, have uh, a... Well, let's just go to thing. miscellaneous
1: here. Um, Music is just, like... Completely hoed at the Game Awards, if I must say so myself.
0: Seriously, 120 come
1: on like now. tracks, just absolutely disgraceful. Is Neo Mio's Is Nia Mia's mother heavily implied? Probably. Yeah, heavily implied. Is Shulk one of the original six founders? DLC? Possibly. Probably. Um, Rex Fox confirmed. And that was what I was about to say that's a confirmed. <laughs> Get Shad <you> Rex. <laughs> um, I can't wait to play Xenoblade too. Um, and DLC. What are we thinking?
0: I need it to be after the story. I cannot, if it's prequel DLC, I will not fucking buy it. I need it to be after the main story. I need to have the reunion. I'm not going to be able to be okay Eric, if do you don't, think? if I don't see it.
2: There's historical precedence to suggest that it would be prequel because uh, that's how they did the Xenoblade 2 extra stuff they did. Like, I wouldn't even know if I'd call the Xenoblade Isn't 2. Isn't like, like it's a separate DLC. game. They kind of made a whole... S- yeah, it's Torn of the Golden Country. They kind of did a mini spin-off of it. Um, that all takes place to stuff that's heavily alluded to in the story of Xenoblade 2. So I could I could definitely see how they could pull the, pull the pull the prequel thing, especially like yeah, if if Shulk and Rex were like part of the original six founders, that'd be some real fan servicey stuff that people would just buy that for sure. Um, I would really like it to be like a- after what happens I, I think and Yeah. Um, I think that the story, there is opportunity for us to to move forward with this story. I I think this is a nice, like, way to unite the series, but I think there's opportunity to move forward with this story here. I think that, you know, if the greatest minds of the two worlds are able to collaborate over dimensions to build something like Origin, why couldn't they do the same thing to build a bridge between the two worlds? Eric, you um, and I watched um, the exact
0: same lore video. I fucking know we did. I'm assuming
2: so. (laughs) Yeah, I'm assuming so. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) but. But we'll have to we'll have to see. Um, the the one thing that I wanted to touch on when we were talking about chapter five and six stuff, and then I, I promise I'll. That's good. One. Go for it, man. It it was it was my favorite part of the game, and yes, N is a it was horrible and terrible in the things that he did and the way the things that he put people through. Um, but when all this was revealed, and it was revealed that his motivations for the decisions that he made was simply because he wanted to. Not live life without Mio ever. Uh, that that gut punched me hard. Yeah. Uh, and then when you do fight him in Origin, and he's a wreck, a shell of him of his former self because he he lost his Mio. Mm-hmm. Um, he describes it very vividly as like what he's feeling is is a void. There's an emptiness. There's a pit inside him from which there is no escape. And that stuff resonated with me very heavily um, having had some stuff in my past life to have had a relationship where I felt the same that I did not want to live without that person ever I couldn't imagine life I knew the first from the first time I met that person like four months later I wanted to spend the rest of my life and it ended suddenly without explanation and that is very much what that pain feels like it is a emptiness a void a all-consuming just You feel it inside of you, and it it hurts, and it's it's the worst thing you could possibly imagine. And I found myself, after that was revealed, sympathizing with N, thinking, my God, like, I thought the same things he did. I thought that, you know, if I could freeze time in those moments that I spent with that person, I would do it. If I could, I would do anything to have those moments back, I would have been Mobius, and I would have, I would have continued the endless now just to have those moments back. And obviously, you no, know, we heal from trauma and we move on. And I'm happy now and I found someone else I love and you move on. But that part of my life identified with this story so much that after the game had finished and I had a chance to sit down and just register everything that had happened, I sat there and I was like I, I just I could I was I was stunned that all these old feelings were coming up. So yeah, not to do- dive too much into my personal life, but a game can affect you on a personal level and things you felt, and it, this game did that for me. So, um, N is a fantastic antagonist, and the best kind of antagonist is one that you can identify with. And I understood his motivation. He wasn't just evil for the sake of being JRPG evil. Like, I completely agreed and understood his motivations, and I thought that was absolutely... Like, it. when I finally started to discover that, that was what his motivations were, like, I was literally shaking playing this game. It was oh god it, it that's it was, really it was that's really well said <laughs> I mean, and um
1: yeah that that i was i think it's a great bow to put on it and with that said i want to apologize to the person you found <laughs> now for keeping you this long because <laughs> this has yeah, been this has uh, been a fucking taxing <laughs> session
0: taxing on technical side taxing on length but i mean yeah hey this listen, game deserves it we knew all three of us, I guarantee you, we all knew that this episode would end up this way. Yeah, like this game. This tell game Tyler, deserves it. I have it, to compliment you, you know?
2: Master Storyteller. Yeah, Jesus the way you Christ! Thank God! Is, oh, fan- thank God you're here. Fantastic! Oh, thanks. Uh, uh, even even you describing things is bringing up the emotion. And I was just like, this is just like playing the game. This is very so Ty- this is why Ty- this is
1: why Tyler's the incredible. blood of the show because his Wi-Fi stable. <laughs> oh shush!
0: But that's very flattering. Thank you. I mean, I hope. I hope it's good enough to keep people listening for three hours. Uh, This is a marathon one. but (laughs) (laughs) That's true. It's okay. This will be a stockpile. Don't worry. I'm going to release this in parts. Yeah. They say you could do like three one-hour episodes. That's not a bad idea. (laughs) Part one, part two, part three. That's not a bad idea. Uh, Well, well, regardless in whatever form that you guys are listening to this episode right now, Thank you so much. If you're hearing this message at the end of this, thank you so much. <laughs> oh, my God. You guys are amazing. Uh, I hope you were doing something else. I hope you were, you were commuting for something. Joe- yeah, like like some long trip or something, plane trip. Maybe you <laughs> please do this, not, li- know, please not listen to
1: this if you're at home living a normal day.
0: <sighs> yeah, but, but but thank you, truly. This, this episode was a long time coming, uh, an amazing collaboration. We were so excited to do. Uh, we knew we we're all passionate about this game, and we were so excited to be able to talk about it with each other and talk about the different things it left us with. So, uh, you know, we were really appreciative of that. Uh, uh, Eric, thank you so goddamn much <laughs> for for agreeing to do this one and and sacrificing uh, time with your lovely wife to, to devote three hours to talking about Xenoblade Chronicles Three with us. I, I warned her
2: ahead of time I knew this was going to happen so that is okay and uh, thank you guys for, for having me on for uh, yeah really a monumental episode that we, we I think we all kind of knew that this was, was going to be the outcome but uh, yeah as soon as I started playing this again uh, you know colby asked me when i put it down if i could do an episode on it and i was just like ah, i kind of put it down but you know after picking it back up i messaged him and i was like hey like i i have to i have to be on this episode with you guys so for you guys to invite me into your home onto your show so i could i could talk about this um yeah it was awesome incredible and like i said this is probably gonna be the last guest spot i do this year so what a way to cap it off <laughs>
1: True. Uh,
2: my guesting journey this year a- absolutely like cherry
0: on top so good so thank you so much <laughs> Colby, uh, how about we bring this to a close? Do you what What are your final What are your final remarks? Uh, this
1: game's an, for me personally. It's an hundred out of hundred. Like it's easily on that level of Breath of the Wild, Final Fantasy VII remake. Um, it's a story I'll remember forever. It's a game I'll remember forever. It's anytime we get Xenoblade, anything. Um, I'm not. I'm. I'm knocking right kids there. over getting to the front of the line. <laughs> oh yeah. Eric?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I can echo that as well. It was uh, in a year that was dominated by the likes of Elden Ring and God of War were probably the two big ones that everybody just couldn't shut up about. Um, This game narratively stands toe-to-toe with those, Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, I, I mean, right now as my rankings, like I enjoyed this so much that it's gonna be when i think of the year 2022 in video games i'm probably gonna think uh, that as the year i played xenoblade chronicles 3 so yeah this is a if if and you don't have to play one or two to enjoy or experience this story it very much can stand alone on itself so if you're looking for a point to kind of jump into the series where you have always thought about it this is this is this is i think this is probably the best of the trilogy of
0: course well so i mean i can echo your thoughts as well this game is probably going number two on my list of games of all time uh just underneath uh Pokemon mystery dungeon i mean those two games are the ones that made me cry and if it it, like that's sort of the prerequisite like if the third game that makes me cry it's probably going to be third probably going to be third but it was just it connected with me on such a level i know don't worry we're we're done here we're done here (laughs) we'll We'll let everyone get back to their lives, uh, listeners and participants alike. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to the end. If indeed you are still here, uh, the best way, if you want to support our show, the best way you can do that is to leave a, a rating and review on whatever uh, listening platform you are on. It gives us direct feedback that we can use to make the show better uh, for you guys uh, and better for us to make sure that we know we're putting out content that people like, so uh, feel free to interact with us on our social medias as well. Twitter, uh, Instagram, all that stuff is in the description down below as always. Uh, but yeah, just, just thank you guys again so much. And any final words, uh, for you guys, uh, Eric, if you want to shill real quick, where, where people can find you and your podcast.
2: Yeah, I'll keep it short. Uh, if you go to linktree forward slash unlockables podcast that has the Twitter, the Instagram, all the podcasters you can find me at. And, uh, we have a Discord now for unlockables that I hastily made because I thought Twitter was, like, syncing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently it survived, and, you know, I guess it, maybe it will survive. But, yeah, uh, just jump into the Discord server, say hi. We're talking about all kinds of random stuff. And, uh, yeah, 12 Games of Christmas is, is going strong right now. Just finish that up, and uh, Tyler and Colby were both a part of that. It's been awesome experience. But, uh, again, thank you guys so much for having me on. This was... Man, this was this is probably gonna be the longest episode I ever <laughs> hey, recorded. Anytime, man. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> sure. And
0: you're, hey, you're welcome in our house anytime, you know. Uh also, Colby Colby's episode of 12 Days of Christmas is already out and uh mine.
1: So is yours, dude. I'm so, uh, this anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler sure. actually anchors
0: the he's the final oh, guest when he finishes huge. The, the, he finishes it out strong. Uh what can I say? What can I say? My reputation God for damn, TV. I didn't know you played <laughs> uh, that But
1: this year, Eric. That's crazy. <laughs>
0: yeah, obviously, I had to. <laughs> yeah, of course. But regardless, uh, Colby, don't worry. I will edit the episode. And to everyone else listening at home, th- uh, one big heartfelt thank you. Uh, I know it, uh, this probably won't be the time that is, uh it's posted, but uh, from all of us in the past, if it's past this point, happy holidays to everybody. Uh, be sure to love each other and love your families and stay close. And we will see you on the next episode of Switch It Up. Have a good
1: one, gamers.